Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio, here's Nick and Matt. That's right, everybody. Except the intro is wrong today. It is not Nick and Matt. It is Evan and Matt. Uh, Nick's on the road or in the air or... I, I think or that's... in the ground. We don't know. <laughs> no, he's better not Like in a the subway, like a subway. Okay, underground. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, like in a good way. I oh, got gotcha. or, or that, yeah. <laughs> Nick Nick performed at the Beaver State Fling. We'll just say that. We'll let mm-hmm. him talk about it next week yep. when I'm not here. That's true. <laughs> Beaver State Fling. He, he almost did as good as Calvin Heimberg. I mean, that's something to be proud of. Yeah. Not that, that far off, right? A few yeah, strokes. W- weathered the rain. It yeah. did not look fun out there, as beautiful as it is. I was happy to be in sunny Massachusetts <laughs> slash inside. Yeah. The uh, weather is apparently is very common for the, as they say, the Pacific Northwest. I had to look that up. I'm like, why does everybody say Pacific Northwest Pacific? Like everybody's saying Pacific Northwest. Like, well, don't you know that we're the Atlantic Northeast? Well, that's my question. That was my question. So I looked it up and ultimately it was like, well, like it started in the Northeast. So like nobody had to say that. And it was kind of like that just became well, that's the Pacific, like Northwest. But anyway, so that's that's a great intro we had there, Evan. I'm glad we we riffed like that. So Nick's away traveling. Um, we have a lot to talk about tonight. We have an awesome guest lined up, John Kirkland. If you don't know the name, as many of those probably don't, and we have hundreds of thousands of new disc golfers, you need to stick around for this. It's going to be very interesting. And I will just put it this way: at the very least. I'm excited. I don't care who else is. <laughs> I'm going to sit here and listen and love it. So great, great interview tonight with John. Uh, PDGA 100. Unreal. Yeah. That's low, in <laughs> case you didn't know. <laughs> That's not his rating, though. I was told that he could whip up on me and disc golf any day. Yeah. But it's it, PDGA 100. Is this the lowest? Uh, I was about to say rated. Is this the lowest PDG number on the show? Oh, we're going to have to ask. I would imagine so. John Hauk would not be. We've had Scott Stokely's not like four, we, uh, some four digits. Yes. Yeah. So this might even be the first. Three I think digits. this. I think this is. Yeah. Okay. That's going to be an epic. We have so many questions. Everything from the Harlem Globetrotters to his connection to the Boston Celtics to MIT astrophysicist, uh, world champion. Lots of inc- like it's actually mind blowing. Stick around. I'm really excited about this. But before we get to that. <laughs> I crashed a product called the One Wheel. <laughs> Ben's over here laughing because he tried it out yesterday. Long story short, because that's, you know, me. I'm a, long, I'm a short story long kind of guy. But long story short is I'm buying this One Wheel off of Simon because he doesn't want to end his career driving a One Wheel. Yeah, rightly so is <laughs> so much I've heard so far. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I can't, I can't keep it. Like, and I told him, I was like, hey, do you got that? I, I want to buy it. So I take it. And again, long story short, I get the thing up to like 17 miles an hour and I absolutely get launched and bite the pavement bounce like seriously. Like I'm limping around today. Bad scenario. So that's one of the things that happened to me recently. Um, But besides that, what uh, anything going on for you recently? Nothing. Disc golf rounds for both of you, Ben, Evan. Well, I've been off for a little bit, but uh was up in vermont this past week which was awesome what like, were you doing up there i was just on vacation 
Yeah, just hanging out up there. Fox uh, Run, just the good I, old. Yeah, I, I was like an hour away from there, so it wasn't like I went up to be around there. I was just in Vermont. Okay. Uh, it's, I mean, it's beautiful this time up here. Not too touristy yet. Was it like you summer. and boys? Or like your... No, it was me and my fiance. Yeah. Your fiance. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to make you say fiance. <laughs> Inside joke, everybody. Uh, Evan's not like a big fan of the word fiance or how you spell it or something along those lines. Yeah, I don't know who has two E's. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> We're getting off topic. It's inside jokes. We we have after show talks and it always turns fun. So we missed last week's show because of a few reasons, but we did like a midweek show before that. So this is like the first Monday night show in a few weeks. Simon Lazat, everyone knows this, back-to-back wins at Disc Golf Pro Tour. And before that, what did he do? Second place finish. Here's my question to Ben, sitting off screen, lighting up the chat. Is he going to three-peat at the preserve? Come on, call it now, Ben. Here's my prediction. Simon gets the three-peat. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. He gets the three-peat. Easy money. It'll be so easy. Okay. Is that an easier pick than the one that I did? I'm going to claim my fame right now. The week before when I said my pick is Simon Lazat. Like, is it easier now to say three-peat? I'd say harder. Well, Harder. If you, before the season, if you said Simon is 100% winning at least one Elite Series event. And you said, hey, Evan, I would have said that. which one yeah. does he win? I probably would guess the Preserve. Here we are coming up on the Preserve. So <laughs> uh, does he get the three-peat? Uh, that's hard to three-peat. Uh, it, there's been, uh, okay. Stat man. No. Yeah. yeah we how were, many <laughs> man, <laughs> you don't know yet. I'm pretty sure we haven't had a three Pete. I, I had this information, uh, Dion and a few other guys were researching it. Got it to me. Oh, it got it to me as in us. Uh, I, I want to say there hasn't been a three Pete DGPT elite winner stat and, or fiction. There have been, there has been like, a three Pete. <laughs> yeah. So DGPT starting in 2016, so you missed Paul McBeth's 2015 season, but you had his 2019 season. And I think he won four in a row that he played, but he missed Idlewilds, something like that. Oh, man, I don't have the facts in front of me. I'm just speaking. Stat or I'm fiction. winging it right now. It's a stat or fiction for myself. We'll figure it out. It. But that would be incredible if he gets a 3 P. That was a great question you said. Even at the beginning of the season, had you said, will Simon Lazat win an event? Not like which event would he win? Will he win an event? I'm probably saying no. I'm, and I hate to do that. Simon, if you're listening, I, you know, I love you. But that's I, probably what it might If you is. said over That might have been Simon's pick, too, though. Yeah, if you told me, like, over, under, does he win, you know, one or none, or like, I guess that'd be .5, I would, for his rest of his career, Elite Series and Majors, <laughs> I think I would say under. It's just hard to win now. Like, he was dealing with the injury. He has proved us wrong. Uh, and he looks incredible, like, I think hottest player right now, this like this second, just who's in the best form. I think it's Simon. You know, what's weird having a conversation with Simon as someone who like talks about disc golf. And so does he, he loves disc golf. But for me as my brain is like bringing takes and thinking things. And I'm like talking to the man himself. Like when I was, I was over there getting the one wheel and I'm like, I, people are gonna <laughs> simon's the most likable guy like in the world for disc golf he's the people's champion regardless if he wins or not so when i say this guys you have to know like i count myself a friend of simon like we're having buddy talk and i was like ooh, yeah ooh. <laughs> no my point is i wouldn't say that i wouldn't walk up to 
I don't know. I don't know James Conrad that well. And I wouldn't say like, hey, what a time to win worlds when like everyone was underperforming. Like, I wouldn't say that to James. But I did bring up to Simon. I said, hey, like there's nothing to be taken away of. The accolades you're getting here, the branding, the exposure, everything is as high as it possibly can be. But an interesting thing is that, you know, Wysocki wasn't there and Dickerson wasn't there. Um, who else wasn't there? Oh, yeah, Wysocki, Eagle. Dickerson, Eagle, right. And, and you could even say Paul McBeth's on a little bit of a cold streak. But that's not his fault. Like, but the player's not being there. And I was like, I kind of did it sheepishly when I said it to him. And he kind of was like, yeah. I was like, but listen, there's nothing to be taken away from, I said, but because you're actually capitalizing on the moment and you're doing exactly what needs to be done. And then before we move on from this three-peat question for Simon, I said, why did you say you were nervous in that last round? And by the way, he couldn't be on tonight's episode. He's packing up, ready to go to match play with his family is my understanding. That's awesome. So he's really busy. But so I got these questions in. Why did you say you were feeling so nervous? Because that's not like you compared to OTB or um, Portland when you won. You were like, everything was just easy. He said, and I hope he doesn't mind. I didn't tell him this is going on the show. He said, Paul Macbeth being on your card is a whole different level. It doesn't matter how he's performing in the moment. It's a whole different level because you never know when McBeast mode is coming out. And he didn't use the word McBeast mode, but he did say, like, you just don't know when the push is going to happen. So it was really interesting. It, here. it wasn't even like, like you obviously got to be worried about Paul Macbeth being on your card and pushing, but Karagirthi was doing it. He did push him. He took a share of the lead. That was part of it as well. Yeah. yeah. And Simon mentioned his post post. I was about to say post-game interview, so post-round interview. It's weird to say. Uh, he mentioned there that they battled at Garrett Gerthy's last elite win at Masters Cup. They were battling, and Gerthy took it down. So, like, that's going to be nerves, too, since it happened before with that player as well. Interesting to note, Garrett Gerthy not winning, but coming down the way it did, he did not get enough exposure or talk because of how epic it was for Simon to win back-to-back. -back. That was the bigger storyline. In that sports, that's what happens. But Garrett Gerthy was literally, if he had won, it would have been epic too in a different way. That's a whole other conversation. It's great to see, let's move into Beaver Safe Lang. It's great to see him take it down there. Spoiler alert, after I said he took it down. What do you think, Evan? Give us some of the recap of the event. Beaver um, State Fling. Yeah, incredible to see him get the win. Oh, before we do that, because this is really important. Yesterday was jer National Jerky Day. That's crazy. And Double G of Double G Craft Jerky <laughs> won on National Jerky Day. Legit, like, straight up. Like, how does how does that happen? Like, it was meant to be. Like, we he threw out of bounds of Portland just so he <laughs> wouldn't have gotten this big win until it was Jerky Day. So. In light of that, and everyone's favorite portion of the show is when we smack on some jerky. Turn down your speed. No, I'm kidding. Don't turn it down. I'm not going to smack in the microphone, but we do need to get a little taste of the McBeast barbecue. This is, I think this is arguably Evan's favorite flavor. Uh, no, no, no. It's number no, two. So, number uh, two. Sext and Sweet and Spicy is my number one, clear as day. Uh, but this is good. Okay. Oh, man. Even the smell alone is excellent. So they have seven flavors McBee's Barbecue, original hot boom sauce, teriyaki, smashed cracked pepper, epic. I can't wait till we get back to that one again. Garlic Lover's Dream, also great. Paul's Max Weight, Nate Saxon, sweet and spicy, fantastic. You purchase this stuff, portion of it goes to charity. That's awesome. You can do subscriptions, get your favorites delivered on a regular basis. Wholesale, if it's not in your pro shop, ask for it. Maple Hill 
has it, but Marshall Street Disc Golf, there's no, they're not paying us for this ad, but they just got picked up at Marshall Street Disc Golf selling out like in seconds. Like I go over there and they're not in the store. Epic, you can do players packs, get cool things like cooler bags, cups, hats. It's, it's the mini Sonics. If you use the code Nick and Matt, you get one penny off your order. <laughs> And that's <laughs> you get it's true. You get one cent off your order. And that is that is actually fantastic. It's an easy way for them to track it. Even if you're using the code, it's another way for them to track it. And it lets them know to give you a gift. So you get a gift with your order. All right. I'm sorry I cut you off, but that was like amazing. National Jerky Day. Double G takes it down. Let's get back to it. Beaver Safe Link. Yeah. So th this was a second Silver Series win of his career. I think a lot of people might not have remembered but he won main state championships in 2020 which was a silver series kind of the first year of silver series being a thing um maybe not as much notoriety i don't i don't know exactly but second second silver series win only the third mpo player to do so along with ricky wysocki who has three and dickerson who just picked up two very interesting this year um then i think incredible over on the fpo side Valerie Mandujano goes back-to-back -back Oregon events. She won Portland Open last week uh, in convincing style. She was wire-to-wire -wire in a four-round event, which is incredible. Uh, this week does it in an opposite way. Was trailing by four strokes going to the final round to Katrina Allen, who was the front-runner for the event. No uh, Paige Pierce, no Kristen Tatar. You had to think it was uh, Katrina Allen's event to win. She's up by four strokes going to the final round. I think she was 31 and four with an outright lead in silvers and up in her career. Like, wow. It was looking good for Katrina Allen. Yeah. But then it was like the first six, six holes. I think it just totally flipped. It was like five strokes and three holes, something like that. I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me for that, but Valerie Mandohano swings around, takes lead, has control, and then is dominant from there until the finish to pick up the win. I was like, Katrina is turning on that fire that like I expected a few rounds ago. And in Portland Open, I expected it. She's a storyline being made right now because she came out starting the season so fantastic that right now you're starting to go, huh, similar in ways to Paul Macbeth, if you were to argue how, and some are going to say, no, you're absolutely wrong. That's fine. But like, I can see similarities. Paul is having some issues, self-proclaimed issues. Um, but for Valerie, I said at the beginning when we had her on the show, here's an interview and I'm just repeating it. That's why I'm bringing it up. Not to say who, 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 look at me, but I was like, I'm a major fan. Like you are the next awesome, like you're doing it. Fantastic. Keep it up. And now since then, another pro tour win and now a silver series. Like that's, she's yes. Good for her. Congratulations. And and she dominated uh, in Texas, like, for a long time. And when she won Waco, I think we all were like, okay, she won an Elite Series event. That's a huge accomplishment. It was in her home state of Texas where she dominates, probably just felt comfortable. Can't she do it on the road? Uh, and then she goes out to Oregon, which is not close to Texas, uh, and, <laughs> and wins two events back-to-back. -back. And sure, you could argue this field, there's no Kristen Tatar, but and there's no Paige Pearson, um, Beaver State Flank, but it's still a great field. It uh, For Statmando's field strength, it is either one or two for the year. I have wow. to see how it, uh, uh, the final turns out. Well, here's some names that for it. Belt. Own Scoggins been playing well. Mm -hmm. She has been, so she's there, third place. Sarah Holcomb's been playing fairly well. Good for her. 
And then if you keep going down the list, I mean, Ella Hansen's there. She performs well at courses where you're typically, I don't know. Maybe that wasn't up to her. In, in, in her home state of Oregon. Yeah. In her home state. That's kind of what I was feeling. State. Right. Great, great yeah. point there. Um, yeah, great field. Great field. Congratulations to those winners. Um, I made a joke earlier about Nick performing almost as good as Calvin. That's a surprise because Calvin placed where? Like 40th? I think 40. Ben just told us before the show. What was it, Ben? Let me look. I'm scrolling. Not sure. Really far. 49th. <clears throat> so, yeah. I mean, no, not to throw shade at, you know, I'm not throwing shade at Calvin, everybody, oh, you know, no. yeah, here we go. Like, I'm not, it's just interesting to see. It's a, it's a silver series. And before the show, we had this conversation. So everyone knows in full, expo- ex- full disclosure, disclosure, not exposure. Yeah, I'm not good with <laughs> words, but I knew that one <laughs> in full disclosure. Like I was like, you know what? He probably just felt like in the end, like it's raining, like it's a silver series. It doesn't affect my standings. Nothing like it's. Yeah. Is I think it. we saw that with Adam Hammis last round. He was in. He was in uh, lead card. Once he kind of fell out of it, and it's just it's pouring. Everything's wet. Like, I, I, I feel for their you know emotions. It's hard <laughs> to like keep that. Like oh, I got to grind to stay top twenty or top thirty or whatever it is at that point. It is hard to do that when it is just not fun weather to be out. It's a silver series, so we're not going to keep talking about the event. There's not that. I mean, the field's there, so that's important. But we're not going to put as much exposure on it. But Joel Freeman coming down the end, hitting the 400-foot skip ace, getting himself really close at that point within one, ends up taking second place. Corey Ellis, who we interviewed earlier this season, performing just about as well as we thought he might. I mean, he said, he's like, I'm here. Like, I should do really well. And you go down the list, and you see, I want to, one more shout-out to Cole Riddallen. He's been playing gun. great. Yeah, speaking of home state of Oregon. Yeah. He has he has turned it on uh, a below average start to the season for him being a young guy who he thought he was going to be, you know, this next big thing. And it's been a little bit iffy to start the year. He switches his putter sponsorship. He gets back to Oregon and it looks like he's back on track. Yeah. So I have some input. This Give it. just in. Give it. Uh, Calvin Heimberg on Instagram posted. I didn't play well this weekend. My body isn't feeling great. And I tried to push through, but I've decided I need some rest before the preserve. So I'm going to more than likely step away from the match play this upcoming weekend. Parentheses, slight chance I can play. So there you go. Oh, so it's not a withdrawal. It's a heads up in case it happens. That's interesting. How much money's on the line at the match play? I think it's 10K to the winner. And and there's a base pay you get too. I think it's only base if you show up. It's not base if you, you know, are in position to qualify. Uh, Like the Pro Championship, I think, is that way. Uh, that was but, a great that was a great insight there, Ben. And hey, you still have cardboard in that hat. Like, yep, <laughs> I know. I'm switching back to the to the other hat. Ben's Ben's tackle shack. Okay, sorry if you're not watching the show, you don't see. And anyways, long story short, great event. It was live for the first time ever, live coverage, and it was crystal clear for most of what I saw. It was fantastic. I didn't have any issues. Yeah, I was slightly underwhelmed at the venue. It wasn't like, I don't know. I, I personally love Milo McIver, but I, yeah. I got some thinking that I'm not like, saying I don't love it's it. A, it's a beautiful it. course, but I think it, it, I think it is time to, you know, have a redesign of that course, not necessarily like scrap everything and start over, mm-hmm. but just really think through each hole, how you can make it better. Um, I, some guys in the Staten Manor community, uh, give Doug a sh- shout out. He was looking at kind of scoring separations of it, uh, kind of the early rounds. I haven't seen it for the entire round, 
but it was looking just very slim scoring separation as in not a lot of scoring separation, a lot of similar scores happening. One of the like kind of closest of the year so far, which really means like you have either easy birdies or kind of ungettable birdies and it's just an easy par. And so it's not a lot of like pushing these players to get the birdies or, you know, rewarding birdies. It's just, you know, it is what it is. It's a, a lot of pros talk about how fun it is to play. I totally agree with that. I think it is fun to play. It is fun to view, but I do think it's just, it's missing that next step that I think Glendovere mastered this year but, for Portland Open. But does it actually need to progress if it stays a silver series? Because it's like the future of like a classic, like, I don't know if it needs to, but to your point, if it was going to stick around and become an elite, like it would have to change. It, that's a, that's a great point yeah. is in, as a silver series. Sure. It could be great. It, it's fun to watch it. And that's kind of my mind. What silver series is. It's getting to see new players. It's just getting to see disc golf for another weekend. It's not, you know, the biggest and best event necessarily. It's just a fun event to watch on your weekend. And I, I think it did that still. Absolutely. All right. That wraps up our recap of the Beaver State Fling and what took place around that. Real quick. I, I say real quick. I'm going to apply some Hempfield Botanicals. This little pump bottle right here is fantastic for uh, getting out, dispensing some Hempfield Botanicals, and I'm going to apply it generously to the bruised area of my arm. And I say <laughs> bruised when I fell off the one wheel. Uh, I don't want to... You can see some little road rash there on the elbow, and that's that's what I'll show you on camera. I'll show you later off camera. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> the other spots. But apply this Hempfield Botanicals. It is for... This one's for your muscle recovery. So this one I would be using right now because on the one wheel, by the way, have you have you seen a one wheel ever or have you not? I'll have to demonstrate it after. Well, yeah, when I walked in today, I saw it and was like, okay, oh, okay that is. Actually, I'll let you try it. Fun story. Matt told us that he got the one wheel from Simon. <laughs> and here I am thinking it was the, the wheel that he would spin on videos <laughs> like of what, you know, disc to throw or what type of throw. <laughs> and I thought I thought that was what hurt Simon's career was having that and like That's wanting to so make funny. videos and vlogs of it. <laughs> And so then Matt was like, I fell off my one wheel. And I'm like, did you spin it too hard? Like, I was trying to think of what happened. Oh. And, then, and then it clicked. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not thinking of it. I'm not thinking of it. Did you spin it too fast? <laughs> you just got hung, you yeah. got stuck? So, I don't know. But here's the deal. Like, to turn, it's kind of like a snowboard or a skateboard. Like, mm -hmm. I'm feeling it in my, like, shin area, my calves a little bit, and my feet. It's aching. It's new muscles. I've been doing it for two days. I can feel it. Uh, but applying this... It's made it feel so good, this muscle recovery. This other one, this salve here, is just, this one really goes deep and accomplishes more of that, like, targeted pain relief, like, targeted. So, like, this is the one I'd be putting on my elbow area, not specifically the elbow, but where I actually smashed it in the ground, like, more there, and it's going to help it recover faster, deep targeted. And then, Ben, you like you're stocking up on all this because you're still young and spry, so you aren't, like, yeah. lathering up every night. But what are you using for your lips? I'm using the chapstick, nice and minty. It is wonderful. Makes me feel good. Makes me feel nice and spry. Um, that's all I gotta say. Is this the way you're supposed to put it on, Hannah? Yeah. <laughs> Ask Hannah. How do how do men supposed to put okay. it on? And Ben, you were up in Vermont. You told me right before the show. Yeah, yep. I'm Evan, but uh, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> Why am I talking to Ben and I'm looking at Evan? Yeah, it was it was Ben okay. on the guys' weekend. I'm I confused. Had. Sorry. Um, <laughs> No, I, I hiked one of the five tall, five, 4,000 footers in Vermont. One of the five. I didn't hike all five. Um, I, I am out of shape. I was beat by the end of it. And I was playing smugs the very next day. Uh, I did not want to be sore and tired for that round. So I, when I got home from this hike, I 
doused it my felt calves, so good and it just felt good yeah <laughs> it does so use code nick and matt you get 20 percent off ladies and gentlemen if my math is correct you spend a hundred dollars you get twenty dollars off that's a disc that could that's probably not a collectible disc i was gonna say you might even get a collectible but that's a disc man you could get this and the disc and and say thanks to the Hempfield botanicals code nick and matt uh, recommended by physical therapists a lot of must it's just it's a great product we're very happy to partner with them okay without further ado we're really excited for the first time ever and as you mentioned evan i think first time ever possibly the lowest rated pdga number no rated lowest pdga number <laughs> why do i have you on the show to correct me it's perfect it's wonderful he, he's got more than a few thousand rated rounds which i don't think any of us in this room can say he's 40 I can't do the math that quick. If I'm 48402, he's 48,302 higher than me. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. let's bring him into the show, everybody. John Kirkland, also known John Frizzwiz Kirkland. Let's bring him on. Oh, look it. Upside down, Frisbee spinning on his finger. That's the way. Go full screen on him. Let's see some tricks. No. How's it going, John? <laughs> I'm doing great. Enjoying Listening to you folks talk about the modern state of disc golf. The modern state of disc golf. Hey, real quick, I just double checking. You got your microphone on, right? I okay, do. Perfect. Can you no, hear it's me? yeah, it's perfect. I just I was checking on my side. I have a few things that were different on my side, but you are fine. So John Frizzwiz Kirkland, uh, Frizzwiz. How long have you had that nickname for? You know. When I was touring with the Harlem Globetrotters with Victor Malafronte back in 74 and 75, I got a message from a writer at Sports Illustrated and he said, hey, we want to do a workup on you guys. And I said, sure, free publicity. And so Victor and I went down to a t-shirt shop and we wanted to put something on cool for the photo shoot. And the guy said to Victor, what do you want to name yourself? And Victor said, Super Frizz. And I thought, okay, then I'm Frizz Whiz. Now, back in those days, an H actually meant something. You were a whiz at something. Uh, <laughs> these days, I, I suppose it could be Frizz Whiz, Frizz Wizard. But anyhow, that turned out to be a really great shot. That photographer, John Zimmerman, he's, well, you folks won't remember him. He's ancient history. But he did all the Sports Illustrated swimsuit shots. He was he was wonderful. He made us look good. Okay, and yeah, I like the W H I Z. It's it's whiz, and I feel like there's like a Family Guy episode. It's like cool whip. Like what's that W H portion for? So also whiz whiz exactly. So there's so much to talk about here, and we're planning to keep you on as long as we keep talking, which could be all night. But you're on the you're on the West Coast, so would be about midnight. He's still going nine o'clock. That's you know that's a long show. But Frisbee Hall of Famer. Let's talk about some of this. Uh, before we move on from the nickname, though, can you tell us a little bit about Frizz and G-Wiz Biz? When I, uh, people ask me a lot of times, what's the, the best thing that ever happened to you? And it was meeting my wife, G. Okay. And uh, I met her when I was going to school in Boston, uh, MIT, and I was taking a class in animal behavior. And soon thereafter, we began investigating the mating habits of the upright hominids. But her name was G, and I was Frizz Wiz, and we thought Frizz and G Wiz Biz 
would be a cool name for a, a frisbee business. So that's what we did. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that with us. You're right about finding that special person. I'm glad that was the case for you. Uh, I'm married with four boys. I've practiced whatever you said, the wor wording you said. I've practiced that a few times, so it's working. All right. You know, I, I heard about Hunter and Tanner going to Junior Worlds. You must be really proud about that. Yes, this will be the second time for Hunter, but Tanner and Hunter are both going, and I'm definitely f ecstatic. It's going to be it's something special to watch your kids compete and play when you're like, I'm not doing it. They are. I get to watch what they do. So it's fantastic. Thank you for asking relate. about that. But let's flip this back to you. We had you on tonight to talk about what you've got going on. So let's talk about this. Uh, Frisbee Hall of Famer, you, PDGA 100. I'm going to start labeling some of this. We're going to talk about it. You were voted the Disc Athlete of the Decade 1970s, won the Men's World Overall Championship in 1977. There's even more than that. We're going to keep talking about a lot of this, but can you tell me before you ever saw Frisbee? I'm guessing that was around, I think you had said somewhere about 1956, you saw your first Frisbee. Can you tell us about that, what that was like, discovering Frisbee? Because I don't have a time in my life. I guess I do, but the Frisbee was invented, but I, I, it's different for you. It wasn't around and then it was around. So tell us about that. You know, there are a few things that, stick out in your memory very strongly going to MIT and meeting my wife. Uh, but one of those was a summer day in 1957. I was at Camp Chimney Rock, 10 years old. And wow, whew, it gets me. Um, a green Pluto platter flying overhead. And it sticks out in my memory very strongly. And this was actually before there were Frisbees. Whammo had bought the Pluto platter from one Walter Fred Morrison in the mid-1955, mid and they started producing them in 1957. They were calling them Pluto platters, and they fly great. They still fly great. They remade them a few years ago, and they are great for playing catch. And that moment of seeing that green Pluto platter stuck in my memory forever. And it is sort of identifies how important Frisbee was to my life. It's funny because I was going, when I was going to school in the mid seventies at MIT and I did a couple of uh, halftime shows for the MIT team and the Boston Celtics, I was thinking this would be a really good thing to make your living at, but of course, in those days, there was no way to make a living from Frisbee unless you produced them. Yeah. And I, how do I say this and not be weird or crazy is like, I love the fact that you got emotional about the, the memory of the, your first experience with a Frisbee. And we're talking like, is that the correct terminology at the time for us? Is it Frisbee? Is that how people talked about them? You know, it's interesting that you asked that because, um, I was talking to a, another uh, world-class collector. Uh, I don't mean to put myself in that okay, category. Okay, well, I'm marking it down to bring up later. World-class collector. Uh, Go ahead. Bill Kennedy, I was talking to him about, he and I both started playing Frisbee before they were called Frisbees, because in 1957, they were just called Pluto Platters. Okay. And one of the owners of the uh, of Whammo 
you should get back to that because I've got some stories about those guys. But uh, as a matter of fact, before I go any farther, I'd just like to say that Spud Malin and uh, Rich Nur uh, were the owners of Whammo. And as teenagers, they used to go out with slingshots that Spud had come up with, the Huntsman slingshot. And they would blow out the streetlights in Pasadena. And you know what sound they made when they blew them out? No. Whammo. Oh, okay, great. So that is a history nugget that I will now always remember. Is and that's well, is that where the name came from, or is it coincidental? I like to think that's where it okay. came from. But anyhow, Rich Nur took a trip back east in 1958, and he found that a lot of students who were going to Yale and lived in that area were throwing the, the Pluto platters around and calling them Frisbees. And it's hypothesized that it was because of the Frisbee Pie Company that was very close to there. And so he came back and said, let's call them Frisbees. And so from 1958 on, they were called Frisbees. Now, when I first got into the scene in early 70s, um, well, there was no scene. There were a few little isolated pods of people that like to play Frisbee. As a matter of fact, what is it about Frisbees that sort of sticks out among all the other sports that in the early days, there were a lot of alternative type folks who did that. And uh, I sort of have a theory that in the early days, and I mean early days, 200,000 years ago, man walking about caveman, the, the guy who could pick up a rock and throw it and hit an animal had meat and he got the women. And in a sense, we are all directly related to that fellow or those guys. So throwing is literally in our genetic makeup. So every time you go out and throw some, remember that you're doing a very ancient dance. Okay. Doesn't doesn't mean you have to eat meat, but <laughs> but you might get the women. You never know. And throwing a rock, there is a disc called the rock now. So, um, play on words there, of course. So, you've said a bunch of interesting things. We're going to try to capture all of this if we can. But you talk about 1957 discovering the frisbee, and I was doing a little bit as I could to research. And then you mentioned like the towards the very beginning of frisbee guts the game of throwing a frisbee at each other that was right there at the very beginning because your first exposure was not disc golf it was frisbee and then is it true that guts was like pretty much right there at the beginning it was at the beginning of my competitive career okay between 1957 and 1973 my only interest was in throwing it really far and catching it in strange positions like diving off a diving board and catching it the very last possible inch. We used to call, have a game we call limits where the idea was you throw it to the other person and you try to put it at their exact limit. Yes. You couldn't throw it farther than that. And, you could, and we didn't think about throwing it real hard because it was more cooperative. Yeah. We were trying to push each other to our limits. But in 73, when I went to the IFT, and met all kinds of interesting folks. And that was the beginning of my sort of involvement in the scene. All there really was at that tournament 
was guts and distance. And I had been playing Frisbee at that point for 16 years. And I had never, I don't mean to sound uh, full of myself, but I, just because there weren't very many people doing it, I could always throw farther than everybody else. As a matter of fact, the su that summer, I went to my very first competition. It was a throw in the park uh, in Boston, on the Boston Commons. And you'd throw through a hula hoop, three shots from the pitcher's mound, and then you could see how far you could throw. And I threw those three through, and then I threw what I thought was easily going to be the longest throw. And lo and behold, someone beats me. <laughs> and I, I figured, well, that's, that's great. The very first time I ever compete against anybody and somebody beats me, so I'm not that big a deal, which was the case because the guy that beat me was one Davis Johnson, who yes. was the first guy to ever throw over 400 feet and just a monster of a distance talent. We, we are lucky to have Davis up here in our neck of the woods in Massachusetts, and I've had the pleasure and the privilege of playing uh, around with him and just fantastic. I, I, I really hope, I know you were up in our neck of the woods recently, and I somehow missed that opportunity. If you come back out here, we need to make it happen. I will tell me, tell me where and when, and I'll make it happen, but let's continue. Day. Let's play Maple Hill. Yes, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, so let's go to this world record for distance. Cause you mentioned that was where your exposure to competition happened. We're going to kind of try to go through the history here of your disc golf or your frisbee gener your frisbee history 1974 you did become a distance champion how far was that distance in 1974 well you have to keep in mind that at the time all there was was whammo mm -hmm. there were there was another company actually called cpi that made a disc that actually flew farther than the whammos pro models and by the way when i got beat by dave I was throwing a whammo master, which is what we used to use for ultimate. And he was throwing a pro and pros go farther, but that wasn't the only reason he beat me. <laughs> um, so in 1974, actually what happened was I went to that IFT and I met all sorts of movers and shakers, uh, at least in those days. I met Victor, my future partner with the Harlem Globetrotters. I met, uh, a whole bunch of the Berkeley scene. I met all sorts of very interesting Frisbee people from pods that got together and played guts. And after that, uh, they said, hey, we've got a tournament in Berkeley uh, in a couple of months. Why don't you come out for that? So I went out there and I stayed uh, with Roger Barrett, a really good Frisbee player. And if you're listening, Roger, call me. <laughs> <laughs> Sending out the bat signal. Yep. And uh, they had a in the Sproul Plaza at Berkeley, they had two things, trick throws and catches, which Victor won, and distance, which is how high can you throw up the building in Sproul Plaza? Because there what? wasn't enough room. What? And I had, I had the, uh, the honor of throwing against the then uh, world distance record holder, one Bob May, and I beat him. I won that distance, how far you could throw up the building. And the following summer, well, actually, just to cut back for a second, as long as we're doing ancient history. Yeah, let's keep going. I want to follow um, up on some of this. I got a list from Roger of all the Frisbee players that he knew about. And there were mostly, mostly they were pods in California. 
And I made it my mission. I'm going to go visit every one of them and learn everything I can from them because, you know, at this point, I'm all in Frisbee all the time, everywhere, all at once. And I ran into legendary names that will mean nothing to your listeners, Spider Wills and John Mortimer and John Wyan and all these folk folks. And I, I uh, learned a lot from them. And then I flew out east and met with Dan Roddick, Dan the Stork Roddick, 003. You should have him on your podcast. You want some good stories. That <laughs> Let's guy do it. is the man when it comes to telling stories. And we were trying to figure out, this thing is so cool. How can we make it more of a thing? And uh, he said, we're going to have a tournament in April. It's called the Octad, and there will be eight events, and we'll get everybody there and see who the best overall player was. And um, that turned out to be a great success. As a matter of fact, I've got one or two trophies in my life, but the only one I keep on my desk is that uh, <clears throat> getting old <laughs> is that uh, Octad trophy. But anyhow, after the Octad, this is 74 now, a really seminal time in the growth of Frisbee. There was a big disc golf tournament, which I'm sure you've heard of in Rochester. And some of the folks from Whammo came out and watched it. And with the urging of Victor and myself and Dan, we talked Ed Hedrick, who was the power that be at Whammo at the time. He's the guy who came up with the patent on ridges Frisbees have ridges, okay. don't you know? Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, they just slow it down. But it's very patentable. As a matter of fact, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but when I was in his, uh, he's the guy who came up with the, the disc pole hole, the basket that we used okay. to play. And I was in his uh, garage when he was playing around with it, bending wire. And I said, are you sure this is the best possible catching device? And he says, Perhaps not, my boy, but it's eminently patentable. Ooh. So anyhow, we take it for granted now. Well, but I have a question about that. So the fact that you brought it up, it might be jumping out of order. So tell me if that's the case. But there was a time before disc golf baskets. And how far back do we have to go before we find what we would call the modern disc golf basket, number one? Number two, what were you... Is this getting too far ahead of ourselves, jumping to disc golf, your, your beginnings with disc golf? We, we have no, a ways I to go. I just mentioned it, that there was a big disc golf tournament, a Frisbee golf tournament, right. that you, if you, the winner won a car, it was actually a double event. You played double disc court and, and Frisbee golf, and you got points for winning each one of them. And Dan, the Stork Roddick, he won the golf and got third in DDC. I won the DDC and got fourth in the golf so he won the car but he was hard to beat but the reason i say that is in those days they had what we call ground baskets and they were just like chicken wire on the ground about a, a meter in diameter maybe a little less and you would throw into them and you'd tend to putt vertically in those days mm -hmm. you throw it vertically mm -hmm. so that it would stay in the basket and that was very popular. Everyone liked it. But then Ed 
decided that he wanted something that was more standardized. So he came up with some poles in 1975 and we tried those, but the problem with tone poles is, you know, did it hit it? You know, the guy who threw it says, I heard something and everybody else is going, ah. So it needed something that was unambiguous, which is why he came up with the basket. Well, the <laughs> I'm literally, if, if we weren't recording a podcast, I'd feel like who cares where we go and how we go. So maybe that's how I should feel right now. Like this just needs to be organic. I have a lot of things that I want to ask you about. And this is going to be a long interview, but here we go. Instead of going further with it, I want to ask, you mentioned a, a height distance record. I am really intrigued by that. Can you just give me the basics of that? Like, was it you're like you just line up and throw it super high and someone up a building was looking and kind of evaluating who got the highest like how did that height competition work sprawl plaza which is literally well not literally but easily one of the pivotal areas and pods where frisbee developed or at least frisbee freestyle developed is in the middle of the berkeley campus and it's surrounded by four dorms okay so it's a plaza it's a quadrangle with dorms all around it. So we just got under one dorm and we threw as high as we could up another dorm. And, and I said, hey, I hit the eighth window up. That's <laughs> yes. the highest so far. And nobody else could get up to the eighth yes. window, so I won. Yes, so that, okay, that's perfect. I was wondering, like, are you skipping it up the building? That's perfect. That, that to me is one of the awesome things about Frisbee sports or Frisbee in general is the idea of coming up with games. And that sounds like a game that was just created like to accomplish a competition because you didn't have enough room. That's epic. And then like you called it, what was it? The reaching game, like the, the extent of your reach. Limits. Limits. Like I'm going to, I'm going on vacation this week coming. There's a pool there. I'll bring a Frisbee and we'll play it. That sounds fantastic. Oh, you know, diving off a diving board. How high can you jump and still <laughs> barely catch it? Diving over things. You know, when you're young, yes. your body is, 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 sacrificial altar yes i guess i'm sacrificing my last on the altar yesterday when i had that crash but so there's that well, the question go ahead the interesting thing about throwing up a building is if you throw too high it won't get to the building so it's it's also an accuracy thing yeah because you have if you throw too low you could have gone higher but if you go too high it doesn't get to the building it's it's an interesting way to figure out I mean, as a matter of fact, yeah. uh, just going out of order, yeah. um, the guy who invented the Araby, Alan Adler, uh, he's an interesting guy. As a matter of fact, uh, I walked up to him and said, hey, if I give you a disc, could you tell me what it does? Just, and he says, yeah, if I put it in a wind tunnel. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, he came out to Hawaii and we did a show together. And one of the things that I had to do was throw an Araby out of the Aloha Stadium. That's on YouTube if anybody ever cares of watching it. But it's interesting because I sort of drew on that throw up the wall thing because you've got to reach down way low to throw really high. Yeah. Well, okay. So you brought up something about like, can you tell me what happens if we put it in a wind tunnel and all that stuff? Let's go back to this a little bit. You mentioned MIT once in passing. You... Someone told me you talked your way into MIT. Do you feel like elaborating on that? And then, and then actually, as you're doing that, as you're doing that, like what degree did you end up walking away with? 
I actually did talk my way into it. I had moved yes. to Boston in the early 70s. I was a jazz drummer and I was going to Berkeley School of Music in those days. They changed it to Berkeley College of Music. And uh, that was just a great time. And as a matter of fact, uh, the only reason that I even went to MIT at all was because I was uh, next door to where I was living and I was hanging out with a fellow by the name of Lenny Smiley, and he became the head of math department at University of Alaska. Anyhow, he was a grad student at Harvard. And I was hanging out with him and we were entertaining ourselves, shall we say, with a bit of um, smoky libation. And he said, hey, I've got a friend over in Cambridge who's got some honey hash oil. And I thought, I'm in. Went over to MIT, got extremely enthusiastic, looked around and said, this place is really cool. I'm going to go to school here. And I got that. an appointment with, I got an appointment with the, an advisor and it turned out there's one guy I had to convince and oops, sorry, getting carried away there. You're fine. And I had a meeting with him and I sort of was talking to him and, you know, where have you gone to school before and what are your grades and why should you go to MIT? And I saw a picture on his, on his desk of a kid that looked a lot like me, had a long beard, long hair. I had full on, you know, jazz drummer, hippie look at that time. <laughs> yes. And I said, who's he? Oh, that's my son. Yeah, we're sort of estranged. And turned out his kid, let's just say that I gave him some advice on how to deal with his kid. Okay. And he gave me one term to take five courses. And if I got a 3.0 or better, I'm in. And I did it. Wow. So that's an epic story. I mean, I can't imagine. I live here in Massachusetts and figuring out a way to walk myself onto MIT. Uh, did you say, I, I missed it if you did. I know that you have a degree. I think it's, you You used a word pre-show, astrophysahedum or something. I don't know. <laughs> it said astrophysicist, and I said I'm more of an astrohedonist. But, okay. <laughs> um Actually, I wasn't, I wasn't so much interested in any one particular thing. Okay. So I ended up taking astrophysics and I took psychology and I took uh, math and I took computer science. As a matter of fact, this is 1972. Uh, I was sitting in a computer lab at two o'clock in the morning and I watched the very first ever computer game between two computers on monitors, <laughs> monitors had just been figured out. And uh, the guy who was my teacher that Christmas, he said, hey, my wife just bought me a computer for Christmas, a PDP-7. And I thought, why the hell would anybody want a computer at home? But anyhow, very forward thinking was I. And <laughs> wow. uh, this is all a way of leading up to the fact that I got a degree in what's called interdisciplinary science. And all I really had to do was convince my advisor that this ragtag bunch of different courses had a coherent theme and I convinced them. So I'm interdisciplinary science major and graduated in 76.
Wow. So you attended Berkeley, jazz drummer, talked your way onto MIT, have an awesome degree, and then this is setting it up again because we're going back, we're going back and forth here. But you started promoting frisbee because you enjoyed it so much. These games you were playing, the things you were doing, you fell into love for it, and you said, "I want to share this with others." My understanding is, being there in Massachusetts, you said, "Hey, let's go to a halftime show for the Boston Celtics." Is that correct? Well, when I came back from the IFT, being somewhat of a self-promotional sort, please say that's not so. Um, <laughs> I got an article mostly due to the gravitas of MIT. Kid doing amazing things with grandma's pie plate. And it was with the Christian Science Monitor, and that was nationwide. That was the first, as far as I know and knew at the time, nationwide story about Frisbee. And I told him some stuff. I was the international ambidextrous long distance champion and they came out to MIT and we did a bunch of stuff and it was a very interesting article and then I approached the MIT basketball team and said hey I want to do half times that went great and then I went to the Celtics and they said great and that went really well did a bunch of those did them for uh, the Pacers and different people and I was thinking Playing Frisbee indoors in a basketball court is about as much fun as there is because you've got a lot of room to throw. There's no wind, that those pesky breezes that can blow you astray. And one day I was out throwing at MIT and I thought, it would be cool if I could do that all the time. And it was just, you see those cartoons with a light bulb going off over your head. And I thought, globetrotters. And I had seen the Harlem Globetrotters. And these are the days of Metal Arc Lemon and Curly Neal. And they were just magical times. And I approached them and they said, cool. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we set up a demo and you guys can come in. And I had to pick somebody to, to pick. And at that time, there was really only one person to pick, Victor Malafrante. Uh, just a great overall combo of power and grace. And he and I went and wowed them in Chicago and we got the gig, 200 cities in 180 days. Wow, that, multiple cities a day. That's a tour. If my math's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that it's is two, a 200 tour. is larger than 180. So what was your part of the, what was your part of the Harlem Globetrotters show? Like, did you have like a halftime show? Is that what you did? We had the pregame show, okay. which when I first heard it, I thought, now that's not as good as a halftime show. Turns out the pregame show is exactly what you want because they've, here's a huge audience. They've seen nothing. And here are these two, long-haired Frisbee guys come out and blow their minds. I mean, really, we were doing some cool stuff. Uh, we were throwing it way up high over their heads and come floating down, swishing through the basket. We threw three-quarter wow. baskets every night contest. It was, it was very interesting, and we had a whole, I actually uh, choreographed the whole thing to music that, a, that I and a bunch of my uh, jazz-playing buddies recorded the soundtrack for. And it was a 20 minute pregame show and it was wonderful. 
we would have old-fashioned Western shootouts. Uh, I used to dunk Frisbees and my hat from the shootout. That was until Metalark Lemon made me stop dunking because, <laughs> you know, little six-foot-tall guy going to make us look bad if you're dunking. <laughs> Probably the only person that Metalark ever stopped from dunking. Oh, that's funny. So... Harlem Globetrotters, Boston Celtics. By the way, shout out to the Boston Celtics. They're going to go live here in about an hour. Game number five tied up. So maybe we can get into that game. Maybe we can put out a word. We need to get John Kirkland back into the halftime shows. Maybe that'll be what we need. So you talked a little bit about the baskets creation. Um, Can you remember? I mean, it, it went from my understanding is pole holes. There was things called tone holes. There was object golf. Um, and then the basket started to come around and there was a tournament or a championship or something where there had to be the first ever tournament with disc golf basket catchers in a similar to what way we know them now. Did you get to compete at that event or any event in the very beginning well, and get to experience said, that? Yes, that's um, a great lead in. Step back and <clears throat> witness the, the torrent that will now come. Yes. Um, basically, we talked Hedrick into having a world championship. And he had it in 1974, right before we were going on tour of the Globetrotters. Only two events, a, a sort of a uh, trick throwing and catching and skills competition and distance. I won the distance and Victor won the skills. So it was perfect for the Globetrotter tour. We then had the Globetrotter tour, which, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but it sort of introduced Frisbee to millions of people. I mean, it's just the Sports Illustrated article and all the TV shows and all of a sudden in this barren landscape of no Frisbee, now there's Frisbee. So then they have the 75 World Championships and we're saying, Ed, we need more than just distance and the skills contest. Let's get some other stuff. Let's get freestyle. Let's get disc golf, or we call it Frisbee golf at the time. Mm -hmm. Have some more events. So he did that and we had the tone, these poles that were five feet tall, right. and you could hear them if you were close enough. But there was, like I said, an ambiguity as to whether or not they were hit. So he went back to the drawing board. And for the 1976 World Championships, he brought out his disc golf pole hole, his Frisbee pole hole. I think he actually called it a, a disc golf pole hole. Had the basket very, it's, it's, it's what we use now. Okay. It's just the tray wasn't as deep and only had a single set of chains. Mm -hmm. And that was the first World Frisbee Championships ever that had baskets. And I won that. <laughs> did, did you hear that stat, Mando? We need to file this down for the records, the archiving. Yeah, I need to have that because I'm looking at his, his events here uh, in the back end and I don't see anything in 1976. So need to see that in some way. <laughs> Evan has access to the PDGA's record keeping and he's not seeing it before 76. So. Yeah, yeah, I saw the Octad in 74, but then the next event, which I wanted to get to eventually too, is the inaugural PDGA event at Cragmere, Cragmire uh, Ski Area in, 90, uh, in 1977. Yeah, Cragmere, that was, that was a really fun event. Um, I think that what most of your viewers aren't going to get is that in the early days, everyone did everything. Everyone threw distance. Everyone played freestyle. 
everyone did maximum time aloft and throw, run, and catch and discathon and double discord. There were a whole bunch of things to do with the Frisbee other than just disc golf. And it, there were no specialists until actually the first specialist I ever met was uh, Joey Hedocklin and Richie Smith's. They were freestylers and they came to a tournament in 1977 and all they wanted to do is freestyle. And I said, well, what about everything else? You're cutting yourself short. But uh, disc golf, uh, when, when the world championships happened and they happened at the original golf course, Oak Grove, and at La Mirada, it was the first tournament at La Mirada. After that, Ed quit Whammo. He hired before he left, Dan the Stork Roddick, 003, to be the head of sports promotions at Whammo. And now finally we had a player as the head of the, our sport. And now there were many events at many different courses, many different cities. If you wanted to qualify for the world championships, you had to get points at one of these tournaments. And the whole national series took off. So in a short two or three years, it went literally from zero to hero. I mean, when I won the, the overall in 77, I was throwing accuracy in front of 50,000 people. Wow. I don't know. Now, a lot more people than that watch disc golf when it's on ESPN or whatever. But I don't know how often you've had to do something in front of 50,000 people screaming your name. Wow. But that is a rush, I can tell you. Okay. 50,000 people that is incredible i mean that's your that's a lot of stadiums nowadays i mean some that's the bigger. rose bowl yeah that's the rose exactly. bowl yeah. it's half of the rose bowl wow a different a different experience for sure we don't have that today as that's to your point i mean like you said maybe on tv um there's still so much to talk about just just to be clear for people here i mean some are asking about like frisbees and the baskets their relationship to today's frisbees or discs and baskets like should the baskets be modified i don't want to go down that tangent right now maybe we can come up with that later but you were throwing frisbees those midnight flyers or the pluto platters whatever it was at the time when you threw your record i think it was a midnight flyer and in 1978 i want to put this out there for people that are listening to understand you threw 444 or just about 444 feet 135.3 meters 44, 444. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm going to take the MIT graduate over my math, but 444. And you did it with a Midnight Flyer, which is ultimately a Frisbee for the way people would understand it today. No. Okay. Midnight Flyers go farther. Okay, so they go further. I did it. But yes, are they I built like a with, Frisbee? <laughs> I did it with what, well, if I could just segue back just a little yes, bit just in it. order to tell this do correctly. It. Yeah. So we're touring with the Globetrotters and there came the Madison Square Garden matinee in February of 1975. And Ed Hedrick, as well as all the New York players, a whole bunch of people were there. It's the first time they'd seen it. And we had this great, really, really good show. Uh, and afterwards, after the pregame show, Ed Hedrick and I went out to the uh, Sheep's Meadow in, in, the, uh, in the middle of the city right there. And we started playing catch. And uh, 
he had the idea that it didn't matter how far the frisbee went, as long as everyone was throwing the same disc. In those days, it had to be a whammo. So it didn't matter how far it went. He used the analogy in the long distance ball golf competitions, everybody has to hit the same ball. Interesting. And you're just trying to find out relative champions, not see how far it can go. Interesting. And there was another disc at the time I mentioned earlier called a CPI. And I got him to play catch with this CPI. And all of a sudden, he could play catch at over 100 feet. And he thought that was really cool. And so he said, the next time I see you, which is octet of in a few months, 75 octet, I'm going to have a CPI beater. And he came back with a couple of variations that didn't work. And finally, he came up with what they call the G series, the 119s, the 141s, the 165s, also known as 40 moles, 50 moles, and 80 moles. The 40 mole was indeed the longest flying disc. It was a CPI beater. And it was a 40 mole. To tell you how, how uh, versatile a disc it was, I set a record in throw, run, and catch with a particular 40 mole, then won the MTA with it in the following world championships, and then the following spring threw 444 with the same disc. Wow. So those 119s really were great. Now, Ed <laughs> said, I wonder what would happen if we added Moonlighter power to it. Well, they immediately went farther. Wow. Technology was so different then. And I'm laughing. You might hear me kind of snickering over here because you're saying 119s can go over 440 feet. And I'm thinking to myself, I've thrown 119 plastic because I was getting my sons into it at a very early age. And like, I'm going to the end of a disc, there's like a 119 DX Leopard or something, or even lighter than that. And it's like the mix of mechanics and speed and spin has to be way different than today's modern discs because you're just going to roll them over. It's just, it's really hard to do. So for us to imagine you doing that, is, is there a lot of the same mechanics to how they're doing it today? Well, the mechanics has changed a lot. Okay. The, the guys today throw harder than we did. I got timed at 79, uh, but That's with a 119, fast. well... I don't know actually how fast I was throwing, but we had to throw through this box. And once it crossed the plane of the box, then it measured, but you couldn't get too close to the box because you'd hit it. Right. So I assumed that I was throwing around 80. And I mean, Simon has thrown 89. But apart from that, the, the biomechanics has changed a lot due to the, the way the discs fly, players today routinely throw harder than we used to. Although there were a few, a few of us in the old day that I think could still compete today, but they're very much higher. They had so much more uh, air resistance. And when you throw, just from the point of view of uh, fluid mechanics, when you throw an ultimate disc, for example, or a 119 or that, you have to release it with the nose up a little bit nine degrees right. or so. Whereas when you're throwing a disc golf disc, you don't really want it ever more than about three degrees. As everyone knows, you get the nose up at all, it's just gonna hyzer out in a hurry. So right. the biomechanics has changed, but the technique and the, the way that people have learned to do it is so much better than what we used to do. Hmm. So 
a quick question here from someone in our live chat right now, which, by the way, they are loving the stories right now as we are live. And I'm sure our, our audience listening in later is enjoying this as well. Let us know if you are. Drop a like. And here's a question in relation to uh, those original discs or Frisbees. I know the chat's like, it's a Frisbee or it's a disc. But listen, those original ones, did they have a similar? We talk about discs beating in today. Beating in, right? You play disc golf today. Um, they beat in. Did Frisbees in the beginning have that same concept to it where you're like, oh, that, that Frisbee's old now or it's perfect? I mean way more than now a, oh. a 119 is the plastic on a 119 is way less durable than a dx one skip off the sidewalk in its history wow in the old days everything was thrown with hyzer and the harder you threw it the more hyzer you had to give it because it would stand up and turn over so if you wanted something left or right you had to figure out how much hyzer to, to put on it so that you could time when it turned over wow um the the plastic really got dinged up very easily it's it's interesting because um i was walking through it's my brain is just going off on tangents this but is okay it, it reminds me of a time that i okay so hedrick starts putting out moonlighter plastic he quits whammo installs stork he goes off and starts the dga Matter of fact, he called me up and said, hey, I'm starting a new thing. What number you want? I said, well, what are you, one? He says, of course. And I said, I'll take two. He said, Victor's got two. And I said, that rat bastard. <laughs> okay, give me 100. Because that was my IFA number. There was something called the International Frisbee Association, and he had given me 100 for that. So we had a sort of history. And I said, and give my wife 1,000. So if you want to know who 1000 is, it's G Kirkland. But anyhow, uh, he goes off and starts making these discs. So you picked, making, you, I, I want to hear about that, but you picked, is this your PDGA number? At the time it was DGA number? No, it was a PDGA. Okay. He started the, D, the DGA and then he came up with the idea. He really recycled his ideas. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, yes. poorly of the dead, but I mean, he's a great guy and he's, <laughs> He's the father of the basket. I mean, we wouldn't be here without him. But he had a couple of great ideas and he recycled them. When he got the whammo, uh, he came up with ridges and he came up with the master test. You take this test, can you catch behind your back, behind your head? Can you skip it both directions, make it go right, go left? You had to go through this long thing. And if you were certified as a master, you were one of the masters. And it wasn't an easy test. So then he thought, hey, I'm going to start the, and he came up with the International Frisbee Association of which there are over 400,000 members. So, I mean, as long as we're going through this long, crazy yeah, story. We are, it's as crazy. The first time I ever went to Wano, I showed up with a Frisbee pie tin. He had never seen a Frisbee pie tin, and he lost a little bit of face because I handed it to him and said, here, and by the way, I joined the IFA back in the early 60s, and they never sent me a number. And he says, well, Luckily for you, we saved number 100. So he pulls out this certificate and he gives me the certificate and it says, you are number 100 in the IFA. So when he asked me what PDG number I wanted and it wasn't two, yeah. I took 100. So to clarify, a, to clarify though, in all technicalities, you could have had three, is that correct? I, 
I, I, I thought about it and I talked to some people. I think I would have had five. Okay. I think Dan Roddick, Stork, and Joe Cahow, they were three and four. Okay. He had already talked to them. I, I, I mentioned it to Ed one time and he just laughed. <laughs> but the way I look at it is I'm one of the people that he called up and said, what number do you want? Yeah. So that was only a few people. Wow. I mean, that's if the audience listening and in here in studio, by the way, Ben and Evan are free to talk, but they just they say they're not good with the interviews. And so I'm here alone, but I'm not alone. I'm here with John Kirkland. They can speak Don't up. Get me wrong. I like 100. I wouldn't change it if I could. OK, because it's my IFA number. It's wonderful. It's just a cool number. I like yeah. the number. 100 is great. Everyone has a number right in the chat. Drop your favorite number. How about that? <laughs> We'll see. Uh, we're going to see some interesting numbers come in. Um, so let's see. There's so much. Let's talk about a little bit of this. And then I have some like extra auxiliary. What's I'm, I'm having trouble with words tonight. Extra topics. Uh, but so do you think the journey disc golf has taken from the start? And specifically, I'm going to disc golf now. The start of disc golf until now. You've been there through it all. To where it is now, do you feel like it got here fast or slow? And do you think it's arrived or does it have a long way to go? That's a really good question. You know, it's got a long way to go, but it's on the way. And I didn't, didn't ever know if it would be. When, we, when Victor and I did that Sports Illustrated article, there were millions of people getting Sports Illustrated at the time. And we used to get letters. I'd get letters all the time saying, dude, what are you doing? We had it. We had Frisbee all to ourselves. Why are you trying to turn Joe Sixpack and Harriet Housewife mm. onto Frisbee? And I've always thought that there was something very special about Frisbee, that the people that played it were very special people. And it was my opinion that we need more Frisbee in the world and less, you know, war toys or whatever. Uh, we need, need more people playing Frisbee. So I'm coming from the point of view of 50,000 people in the Rose Bowl. There's Rose Bowl 74 through 81, just packed. The Rose Bowl, wide world of sports, huge exposure. I really thought Frisbee was off and running at that time. And I, I'm using Frisbee. Personally, I use Frisbee and disc golf sort of interchangeably. If someone asks me what I play, I say disc golf okay. because that's politically, politically the correct thing to say. But I guarantee you there are more people in the world that if you hold up a destroyer <laughs> and they don't play, they're going to say, well, that's a Frisbee. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what you call it. Mm -hmm. the, the, the joy is in the doing, not the calling. <laughs> and I really thought that, I mean, you know, the whole being by yourself and the, the making the trajectory in your mind. I mean, that's that's the Zen part that we hardly ever talk about. We talk about, you know, who's the best and, you know, all the parts of capitalism that sell. But it's that seeing that thing in the air for the first time or throwing an exact line where all of a sudden it's just you and and the world are, are as one. That's why we do it. And then we, you know, later we talk about all Ooh. this other stuff that keeps it going. You got you but got really me thought, you got me getting a little emotional thinking back to now my first experience with frisbee, which was thanks to my mom. Shout out to my mom. I know my dad listens to the show. Sometimes my mom does. 
But my mom would play frisbee with us in the backyard when we were kids. So I'm 37 now, probably back when I was 30 years ago, my mom was throwing with us in the backyard playing frisbee and we would play games. There was a rock path through like the backyard. I say rock path, like it was in, in the grass down in the dirt, like flat. And we could play, get the disc over or the, the disc, the frisbee, like don't let it on your side. And we were just making up games. And I can remember my brother, shout out to Josh. He's been on the show a few times. Like just throwing some amazing frisbee throws that in your mind are just so cool to watch and a catch that's just so special that is burned into my mind, right? And you're talking about these times of being alone on the course. I've heard it called soul golf or soul frisbee. Like, I'm glad you brought that up. We don't talk about that very much on the Nick and Matt show because we talk about a lot of the relevant uh, competition side of it. But that's epic. And I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, thank you for doing that. Um, so what are you up to now? I mean, disc golf is where it's at now and it's a really big deal. I mean, is it, is it really a big deal? I mean, players are making $10 million contracts now. Um, I think your nephew, is that right? Cody, like he made lead card recently at, at the OTB open. He's my son. Oh, sorry, your son. Sorry. I talked to your brother-in-law today. That's why I mixed it up. Your son. Yeah. yeah. That must've been special. I can't tell you. He's always been an amazing Frisbee player. He's an amazing ultimate player. We won the world championships in DDC together when he was 17. And he is, I just, I'm very lucky to have a Frisbee family. My daughter, Alexa, and son-in-law, Tommy, just won the nationals in mixed ultimate. Uh, they won the worlds in 2018. Just amazing Frisbee players. And my son was all-star ultimate player and came the pandemic and he said, I think I'll get back into disc golf because he was really into it back in, he was 1,020 rated back in 2010 when that was, you know, 2010, yeah. 1,030, 1,035 was like as high as you went mm -hmm. in those days. And he was getting really good at it. And then he discovered ultimate, mm. which was a great move for him. Got in really good shape and, you know, if you if you talk to people that play disc golf and ultimate, they'll tell you that they both have their own draw. I mean, disc golf has is a very special thing just in terms of throwing and carving and sky sculpting. And it's it's like nothing else. And ultimate, you don't curve it and sky sculpt quite as much, but you've got a team around you. That's a really special kind of group bonding thing. And you've also got catching, don't forget, which is a fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. And he decided that he'd get back into disc golf and had some success, made a few lead cards. And he is now learning what it takes to be really good at it. And um, I'm, I couldn't be happier for him. He's a great kid and he throws magnificently. And I would be remiss not to bring up that your daughter, I believe, Alexa, and I have to say that quietly, I have Alexa in my house, but... <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like yes what do you need uh but your your daughter alexa is a um great ultimate player as well and i i did a lot of research i don't know i had access to your brother-in-law and he's talking to me and she's also a dentist so like it, she, she's also uh enjoying the sport of frisbee just as since you mentioned my brother-in-law he has a name and it's chris taylor there it is and he's actually fairly famous in the history of frisbee for a couple of things he had a dog, Sheba, that was just amazing. In the early days, I used to say that I was the most famous 
human Frisbee player because Ashley Whippet was the most famous Frisbee player. That dog was amazing. Anyhow, Chris Taylor is also, in addition to being married to my sister, the first guy who most of you folks don't know about freestyle, but when it's spinning on your finger, you can balance it called delaying. And he figured out a way while it's spinning to turn it around upside down. It's called a turnover. And he's the guy that came up with that. Anyhow, he's a coach and has taught me a lot about biomechanics that proven valuable. He's the guy I turned to. I was just playing with a bunch of guys yesterday and I was helping one guy with his backhand and he was saying, well, what about the forehand? I said, I got to put you in, in contact with my brother-in-law. He's the man. Wow. Um, but getting back to Alexa, she's just a great woman's ultimate player there. She's on a, uh, she was on a, a pro team that won the nationals, the worlds, whatever it is, that won the women's pro team championship just very recently. And she's getting ready to go to Ireland to play for, uh, ultimate, which I never did. Okay. And um, what am I reading here in the chat? I don't know. I'm seeing number 471 in the chat. I'm thinking that was a PDGA number. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, well that's his favorite she, number. She's married to Tommy Lee, who is just an amazingly good ultimate player, who's now got the disc golf bug. Okay. Got a basket out in front of his house and really good putter. There's something about in ultimate, this thing called a high release backhand that's a throw, like when you want to just toss it up over everybody into the end zone. Turns out to be the same motion as a putt. He's a natural putter. So I'm glad that people who are playing ultimate have disc golf to do when maybe their knees say, no longer should I be playing ultimate. Because you can play disc golf. I mean, I'm in my 76th year and I play every day. Wow. Every day still. Evan, what do you got? Yeah, I was curious, just looking back at your history, you, you had a lot of those early events in the 70s and 80s. Then I see a gap from 1981 to 1996. Is that a uh, a lack of record keeping in that area, or were you up to other things within that time frame? You know, it's interesting. A lot of times in my life, for one reason or another, I would get good at something. I used to be a, a, a pool player, a nine ball player, three cushion billiards. I got in the top six in the nation in college. I got really good at things, and I would sort of see the end of it. I would sort of see, okay, I see what would happen if I kept doing this. If I got to be the very best at it, I see exactly where that would be. And so I, I, I moved on. And in 1981, uh, I had just won the world championships uh, up in Santa Cruz and had set a, a world record in MTA, which is how long can you make it float and mm -hmm. then still catch it in one hand. And I was, I had the, the world record distance and that kind of thing. And I, and my brother-in-law, Chris, said, okay, you've done Frisbee. Let's go play ball golf. So we didn't call it ball golf. We just called it golf. Right. So I took 14 years off to become a ball golfer. Wow. And got, you know, I went from being sort of a whale in a pond to a minnow in the ocean. You know, I mean, I, I got to be a scratch and I could play pretty good. And Chris and I toured all around the world playing all the really cool golf courses, Augusta and all of, all through, you know, the British Isles. And it was really fun. And to be fair, uh, it was a good move on my part. I missed out on, on a whole bunch of stuff. I was in my prime. 
physically. I missed out on the huge upsurge in disc golf and Frisbee, but Frisbee went from being this gigantic thing with the Rose Bowl and all these people. It, when Ed Hedrick left and then Wymo was sold to Cransco, Frisbee kind of dropped off the map. Interesting. There's no more Rose Bowl. There's no more money. There's no more advertisements. There's no more. So then wow. here comes disc golf and disc golf had to recreate it from the bottom up. And so by the time I got back and, and I might, I might say in along the, along the way, I learned to hit a golf ball, which is turning the other way. Right. So it was very good for my spine. So now I can throw in either direction and I don't have any, the knees and the back and all those problems that wow. I probably would have had if I kept playing Frisbee all those years. Wow. There you go. You heard it here first. Play golf and disc golf. It's good for you. I know Simon would like that. Also, Simon Lazat, everybody, uh, he, fan of the show. I just got to throw it out there. But someone in here said, if John Kirkland, if YouTube was around when your heyday of Frisbee and everything you were doing with it, they said you would be the Simon Lazat today plus Mr. Beast, which is, if you don't know Mr. Beast, a very large followed 300 million plus subscribers or something stupid. So I do. Okay. <laughs> so you, I really, YouTube wasn't I around. have to say, I have to say, I, I watch a lot of trick shot videos. I yeah. watch Brody. I watch, I, I watch everybody. And I love the trick shots. About 90% of that stuff we were doing when we were touring with the Globetrotters. <laughs> yes. Throwing it around really weird things and making it go into trash cans and throwing baskets from, I mean, that time when I was touring with the Globetrotters, that time that Ed Hedrick and, and those folks came to watch, we came running out of the locker room and there's 25,000 people there and they're all bored. And I come running out and Victor runs out on the court and I stop short and I look at everybody and I throw this huge, big, high arcing flow that goes up all the way up past the air conditioners, floating, floating right back down over their heads, swish to Victor standing under the basket. 25,000 people went nuts. Um, that was kind of cool. <laughs> I love it. Um, so we've talked about so much. And, and quite frankly, I think we'll have to set up another time to have you on based off of things that came up during this conversation, but there's still a few left yet that I would like to bring up. One is you mentioned uh, being an avid collector of Frisbees and discs, uh, disc golf discs. I think I heard somewhere in the number of maybe, maybe we're blowing your cover here, but 15,000 discs. Does that sound about right? And can you tell us like where your collection ranges from? Well, I mentioned Roger Barrett that I met in the summer uh, of 73. And I went and stayed with him for that Berkeley big games tournament, throwing up the wall. And I was staying with Roger and he says, he has the largest Frisbee collection in the world, 350. And I said, um, okay, I'll buy them. So I bought his collection and now I have the biggest Frisbee collection in the world. And unfortunately, I sort of didn't stop and if I'd been smart, I would have just collected a specific type of article, you know, just the old things, just the old pros or everything made before 19, whenever. But I went for everything. And once I got, I don't know, I've got about 30,000, but um, I, I officially quit collecting as of 1982, which is when I went off to play ball golf. I stopped collecting as of then. Since then, I've probably got, I don't know, five or 6,000 discs 
golf discs, you know, the old stuff. Uh, but I'm, that's not really part of my collection because I don't collect after 82. Mm. But uh, 5,000 5, discs. I'm not collecting those. Just, you know, 5,000 I've, I've accrued. Um, I feel like I need to become better friends with John only for the fact of maybe asking for old discs that I can throw. But that's that doesn't sound nice. But I would imagine that going through your your collection and seeing like pick pick one out. Is it impossible for you to do pick one out that you think is like your prized possession? Um, or two or three, whatever you have to do. You know, people ask me that all the time. Um, uh, and I'd say, how dare you speak to me? Mm. No, I said, uh, that's Jeff Goldblum reference. Sorry. Um, I always say whichever disc I'm holding at the time, like okay. right now, okay. this is my favorite one, or maybe it's my Garrett Gerthy, you know, I've got a Garrett Gerthy, uh, double G. Congrats, my friend. You did great. Yes. You can't you can't get lost in the thing itself. It's it's what you bring to it, and and you can bring anything to everything. Wow. I did photography for a while. I still enjoy it as a hobby, but I did it for businesses a while. And people used to ask me like, "What's the best camera?" And my answer was the same as what you just said. I said it's the one that's with me. It's the one that I'm using right now. And I think that's perfect. That goes back to playing Frisbee by yourself. The Frisbee that's with you is better than the one that's not. I love this concept you're bringing. People are loving this interview with you. I'm so, so appreciative that you took the time to come on. As I mentioned, I've been taking notes here, and I think we're going to have to have you back on. You seem to be a showman at heart. I imagine you being the Simon Lazat of the 70s and 80s. Um, you tried to get into professional golf, and I think that's just shows the competition and the side of you trying to learn and always continue to grow there. I was told today by Chris, your brother-in-law that you would whip up on me on the disc golf course. And I appreciated that and said, I would hope so. But if you ever make it out, it's not about competition here. I would just love to throw a Frisbee with someone so embedded in the history of the sport. So if you're ever out this way, definitely hit us up. I will take you up on that, sir. It's very nice talking with you. Okay. And I'm going to do this. I mentioned to you earlier, Statter Fiction was a possibility, a game we might play. Evan, do we have something lined up? Oh, do we? Okay, so we have something lined up. Before we get to that, I want to talk about a product. And John, you can only say positive things about this product if you do it all. But let's go three up here, Ben. This product is called DG Max Wax. This is a wax mini, okay? And what this is, is a grip enhancement product that I have been using regularly now the interesting thing with dg max wax and they don't tell me what to say okay they say we have a great product we'd love you to talk about it and so i talk about it and i'll ask ben and evan what they do with it i use this on shots where i feel like my grip is an issue and i know that sounds so obvious but it's not every shot but with some really high humidity or a scenario where maybe it's a rainy or a scenario where the my hands are very cold and the disc is just not gripping right i will reach in Every now and then during the round, get some on my fingers, and it gives me the confidence. It absolutely gives me confidence. I don't think it's placebo. I think it really works. But the point is I'm throwing harder, getting better snap. They have something called the snap stick, which, Evan, you just asked me before the show. So talk about that. I'm a fan of the snap stick. You, like, it's, I just think it's so easy to keep like in your pocket. Um, just a huge fan of that. Much, It's just nice and small. Take it out, put it on. And I was going to say, I'm actually – you mentioned you do it when you want to feel more confident. Yeah. I'm almost the opposite opposite. It's not like a, I need to be more confident here. Okay. Use it. 
it's just every couple holes take it out put it on like without just even thinking keep I it going. you're getting addicted just, yeah just keep it going you know it's not yeah. this hole needs to be more confident yeah. it's just a oh it's been That's two great. three holes let me just reapply but if you use the code nick and matt you get a percentage off i think it's 10 percent. that that's already a good deal um this product is going to last you a long time mine's getting like pine needles in it and like dirt and everything else but it's great it's like it's becoming my go-to it slides in a little mini slot um so not to put you on the spot but did you ever think grip enhancement would be a thing outside of gloves john like i know gloves maybe was that a thing for you at any point I moved to Seattle a couple of years ago because of the pandemic, and I tried using some ultimate gloves. I, you know, once you get used to it, uh, ultimate gloves work quite well. Actually, I played around back in the early, late 90s uh, with a fella, and he was using uh, a, a glove to throw disc golf. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. I like the idea of a grip enhancement. I have a some friends who used to put pine tar on their fingers mm. for throwing forehand. Wow. <laughs> so it uh, actually the best forehand thrower I ever knew, a fellow by the name of Michael Berry, a really good disc golfer. He used to put this pine tar on his fingers. Wow. And so I, I like the idea, but I'm going to buy some of that and give it a try. Well, I will tell you this. I've been totally satisfied with this. And we, yeah, it's, it is not sticky. I don't, you're going to have to try Everyone that listens likes it or buys it, likes it. It seems I haven't heard anything negative. It doesn't make your hands sticky. It has a nice smell to it. We always talk about the smell because we have to smell it. It's called Citradelic. It's a blend of pure essential oils designed to elevate your mood and keep you calm and focused on the course. It works as a mini. And like I said, it's not sticky. It's just, it seems like that. And if you it's, do feel like there's too much, like you maybe built up too much. I just rub it on like my pants or on something and it, it like, then it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. I love the product. So mm -hmm. you'll, you get into such an easy rhythm with it too. Once you just like third apply, then you're just like, I know the exact right amount to put on and how often to do it. <laughs> there you go. It's become your thing. So we love it. Use the code Nick and Matt shout out to DG Go get it today. Let them know you love the product too. All right, here we go. Uh, I told you about it, John, the way this game plays. And I know you maybe you don't feel like you're up to date on everything that's happening in the world, but neither am I. I, I guess a lot of times here. Evan's going to lead us in a game called Statter Fiction. Ben, hit it. All right. There you go, Ben. Take it away. All right. It is Evan. But Ben, if, <laughs> two ben. times. And I'm looking in your face because I say, Ben, hit it. And then I'm looking at your face. Ben, take it away. I am yeah. messed up, well, man. If Ben messed could up. reset the scores, though, uh, oh. it is even 2 2. But oh, my goodness. Yeah, would be I have good a problem. Ideally, to be 0 0, I'd say. And I'll also say, <laughs> while preparing for this, I thought about going super historical, but I'm like, whatever I look up and I bring to the table, like, John's just going to somehow, with his historical knowledge, prove me wrong. So I decided to avoid that and I'm going to keep it recent here. So uh, hopefully we can test you. Um, we talked about Valerie Mandahano early in the show going back to back. Um, these are back to back tour, you know, silver and up uh, wins in the state of Oregon. So the stat or fiction is this is the first wo woman to win back to back tour events that were in the same state since Paige Pierce did it also at the Portland Open and Beaver State Fling in 2019. So, yeah. so to clarify, it's when back-to-back -back events happen, but also they're in the same state. So it's not just like... And could it have been any event, though? Like, it didn't have to be like a any tour Any silver event. and up. Oh, okay, silver yes. up. Okay. So any pro tour event, 
women winning back-to-back in the same state. Paige Pierce did it. You're saying when? In 2019 at Portland Open Beaver State. And to be clear, that's events. not part of this. Like, that's not part of is that a stat or fiction. That's true. Paige winning it. No, that is the stat. I'm saying that's the last time it happened. That's what I mean. That's yeah. real. Okay. So Paige did it last, Portland Open and Beaver, Beaver State. State okay. Has it happened again in what state? Or has it happened again? That's the point, right? Is uh, Valerie the next person to do it? Yeah, it you're either yeah. saying, yes, mm-hmm. that was the last time it happened, or fiction, there was another time in um, between that that did happen. In the same state. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling like Texas is in there, and I'm feeling like Katrina, or I'm going to uh, – I'm saying that's a f- – I'm saying somebody else did it. So whatever that is. That's fiction? Uh, yes. Okay, so I'm saying fiction, John. I hope I didn't confuse you too much. What do you say? I also think fiction. I'm trying to think, is it Tatar or Ooh. seemed like someone else wanted a state, but just to go along with Matt because he knows more about it than I do, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> okay. Oh no, John's gonna get on the bad side of some viewers. You, <laughs> you, you got people always say you gotta write it down so that way you guys don't agree. But That's that so is funny. all good in our books. I am That's not funny. judging one bit. Okay. Um you guys are both right. This is fiction. Um, you mentioned Kristen Tatar. She has won back-to-back events, but not in the same state. It was actually Paige Pierce, but last year in California. Oh. Uh, so she won OTB. three events in a row, actually, in a row. She won, I think it was OTB, U.S. Women's, then Masters Cup. Okay. It might have been flipped. I might have the order wrong. But those three events were all in a row, all in the um, state of California. Yeah, I was off with Texas, but in my head, I was like, I feel like it happened. More that than was once. probably one of the only other possibilities. It's a big state. There's yeah, some events it's, in there. there's not like I I thought it would get you because there's not a lot of events that are back to back in the same states. You know, right? We, we I was thinking like regions. Belton and Texas State is mm-hmm. like kind of where my head yeah. went, or Waco. Anyways, yeah. Okay, cool. People are calling me on thirty seconds. So, <laughs> all right, <laughs> take it away. Stat or fiction number two: Ben Calloway has the most disc golf pro tour points without a top 10 finish this year from events that qualify for disc golf pro tour points all right john how up to date are you on disc golf pro tour points um (laughs) cody and i played with ben he's got a lot of game okay a lot of game so are you Um, saying that he doesn't have a top 10 is that an accurate statement or that's part of this i'm saying he must i'm saying he must have a top 10 yeah, it's kind of a two-parter. Yep. So it's it's one, does he have the most disc golf pro tour points out of this qualification? Yep. And two, does he not have is it true that he does not have a top ten finish this year? But it's all or nothing. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that's true. I'm actually saying he doesn't have a top ten and he's the highest points earner. Oh, that's hard. I don't know if he is well, out of that qualification. Here's my 30 seconds. I'm saying true or stat. Well, I suppose just for the uh, <laughs> sake yeah. of being the uh, the odd man out, I'm going to say false. He must have gotten a top ten because he's got too much game. Last year, last year, we'll see. I don't know if this year, but let's see. All right, this is fiction. Oh, John takes the point. But yeah, not for the reason that John says. He actually doesn't have a top ten finish this year, but other players have more. Um, with that same qualifier. Yeah, exactly. Did, did you hear me struggle? And then I was like, they're going to call me on 30 seconds. So, uh, cause that's what I felt. I was like, I don't think he's got a top 10. And then I'm like, I don't know if he has the highest. Okay. Great job. Great job, John. You have the points, what, however you earned them or not. It's like getting it in the basket. There's no pictures on the scorecard. Here we go. Question yep. three. All right. 
come final question. Uh, so this was Garrett Gerthy's 10th A tier or better win of his career. That is true. I'm leading into that. Oh, okay. Uh, so Beaver State <laughs> was the 10th time that has happened. A tier or better. Um, so that includes, you know, national tour if you want a major. Uh, despite being from Florida, Garrett Gerthy has never won an A tier or better in the state of Florida. Say that last part again. Uh, despite being from Florida, yes. Garrett Gerthy has never won an A tier or better in the state of Florida. This is that's I have to go first, I think, because John went first last time. I think the answer has to be fiction. Come on. I know he hasn't always been in Florida. But I feel like he's played. I don't know. I, I feel like I have to go fiction here. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know. That's my guess, though. I'm going to go with true because Johnny McRae just and the, true. and the champ just tend to win everything down there. So we'll see. Oh, man, I, it's, I, I feel like either one could be argued here. And now it's just a matter of who got it right, Evan. Yeah, it's, it's either Matt ties it up or John gets the sweep and gets three points from three questions. And the answer is stat John does it. he yes. gets the sweep three points from three questions um he does not have an eight tier or better in the state of florida he does have 25 florida wins and 18 of those being an mpo but they're only b and c tiers i mean only only I'm still incredible <laughs> uh but yeah i didn't look into the a tier specifically uh a tiers are better in florida you got to think girthy has been touring for a long time yeah. there hasn't been a lot of opportunities in florida um, we've just seen Silver Series get back there. There's not a lot of tour events there anymore. So I think that's kind of the reason towards it. Here's the deal. Uh, John had so much exciting history to share with us tonight. I, could, I couldn't beat him. I mean, I just, no, I'm kidding. I, it, was, it was fair and square. He totally destroyed me, probably the way he would with any Frisbee sport. Um, John, do you have any closing thoughts on, on tonight? Did we miss anything? Oh, I'm, I'm sure we missed a lot. Did we miss anything that you're just dying to tell us before we let you go? You know, I, I learned a lot about your show. I, I first heard about Double G Craft Jerky. I mean, you, they are a sponsor of yours. Yes. And one of the, the prime movers in that is a fellow by the name of Ted Nalen. Uh, he lives in Orlando, and I always stay with him. And he told me that there's going to be a vegan version. I happen to be not a, a meat eater, and I'm looking forward to the vegan version. Yeah. So a shout out to Ted and Eagle for coming up with a vegan version, which I hear that meat eaters like also. So yeah, I'm doing. I'm down to try the vegan jerky, the mushroom. Like it's it's got to taste good. I don't have an issue. Things that taste good, I'll eat them. Uh, you're right. They're a great sponsor for the show. And we always give our guests jerky. I feel like for some reason you have access to that whenever you want it. But if that's not the case, you know who to reach out to and we'll get you some jerky on the way. Um, awesome, awesome interview. And I will say this be, and not it, out of my mouth. I think this is one of our greatest inspiring interviews we've ever had. And there's a there's a good handful. But this is definitely in that mix. And the show is saying some of the chat is saying best ever. So, John, we thank you very much coming on the nick and matt show we'll have to make it happen again and especially if you come out to play here in leicester we're able to meet up we have to get that filmed we'll put it up we'll talk history of this golf as we play i'll see you on the first tee at maple hill y yeah give me the heads up if i'm in town we got to make it happen and if not i'll try to be in town <laughs> so thanks guys thank you very much john have a great evening all right holy cow
That was a good one. And I, I got a stat to drop real quick. Didn't fit in. But we talked about his son, Cody. Cody's first round, uh, first, I, I got to say, PDGA round of disc golf ever. Uh, it was the Las Vegas Hall- Halloween Classic. He shot mm-hmm. the exact same score as his dad, uh, John. They both shot a 70. I'm not sure what course okay. it was at, but it was 933 rated. Okay. So I just thought that was neat. They okay. both went on to win their division, uh, John in advanced grandmasters and uh, Cody in rec. Wow. So 933 from rec, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> whoa, he's their problem. first event. But that's a problem. That's okay. So I was trying to take notes and listen, and this is don't don't do this but if you want to do this do this go back to like episode one two three or four i am not saying i'm a good interviewer by any stretch it's literally not what i'm trying to proclaim here trying to be humble but if you go back then i know one thing i was a horrible interviewer and i was trying to take notes here as he's talking and i'm trying to follow what he's saying and capture things and be able to get back to something and some things don't go back to because there's so much to cover but some of the things that stood out to me I loved the idea of throwing the same discs for distance contest. It's a different thing, but it's like, here, everybody throw this whammo disc and who can do it the furthest. I, I do think that's interesting. I agree. But there's like, we also got to think there is, you know, PDGA requirements on, on diameter of the rim. Sure. Um, so I feel like at the same part, it's like we have reached our limits. So it's not important. No, no, it's not about it being important. But it's a different thing. And I think there would be really neat. Like if you, I do me, agree, yes. yeah, if yeah. you me and Ben, <laughs> I'm looking at you going, I can't say you, me and Evan. Yeah, well, I think Ben's going to beat us. but And we had to throw a Frisbee or like, let's just say we all have to throw Sonics. Like it just changes okay, the element. Okay, well, that's not fair since you right, have fine. thrown them for right. years we'll now. Pick, we'll pick it. We'll pick a disc none of us have thrown. So yes, that, I agree with your That sentiment. could be fun. That could be fun. I, and if we went against Simon, we all lose anyways. Like that's kind of the point is like who can do it the best with the same product. Yeah, exactly. Okay not for okay we've hashed that out how about the height throwing competition that that was wild like and it, bounce it off the eighth floor window it it took me like a long time to even understand the idea of it yeah and at first i thought they were like standing at the bottom of the building and just throwing straight up in the air but that doesn't seem like what it is it seems like they were back a couple hundred feet and yeah. they throw at the building and that's what he was saying about how you need <laughs> no. to, you couldn't get it too high because yeah. it would drop because you need to get it far yeah. enough to hit the building. But if you throw it too high, you don't hit the building. Exactly because it would just drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that was like it's just still wild. At first, I thought it was straight up. Yeah, but it's actually yeah. It was exactly. like they don't have enough distance. So how high up the building can you hit? But I'm also thinking about like how great was it back and then in the 70s or, or 60s, yeah. whatever that exactly was compared to now. Like if I went to Berkeley. Uh, and, and started throwing discs at, yeah like window, someone's coming windows. out and kicking me out <laughs> and i might like have to spend like a couple hours in jail oh, or something like man. that or, um there, i didn't even take enough notes i'm gonna listen back to this and try to take some more notes we will have to have them on again someday limits the game that was nostalgic for me in a weird way because have you ever played that in like in a pool I, growing up like every single jump, kid's yeah. got it right like You're that was the in, pool game grabbing something at the last second as far as you could reach limits mm-hmm. but doing it with the frisbee I feel like we might have did that me and my brother up in our vacation spot with the pool. Like, so anyways, that was cool to remember and think about. And he's like the best. I think he even said that he's like the best. Right. Um, and then this was really interesting. My wife is a history buff. Okay. She loves history. Uh, specifically, I would say U S history, but she believes, and this is probably accurate. I'm not as big in this. You look at the history, you can kind of project the future, right? You kind of look at the history to see things and learn things. 
something he said, the same issue I felt like of some feeling like the quote unquote slow the sport, don't grow the sport. Did you notice that when he was saying there was a period of time where people that were like, whoa, like this is a bad thing. Like do not introduce more people to it because it's taking away that feeling that we have of it being ours. And I think there's something really interesting here with disc golf and Frisbee sports in general, I guess, is you take ownership of it because it's a, it, in some ways it's an individual sport, but there's also such a community that you want it to grow. Like you want to quote unquote evangelize disc golf, but it's like a double, it's like a weird, not oxymoron, but you're like, but I don't want it to be taken away from the special moment I have. Did you have any reaction to that at all, Ben? Like the idea of like slow the sport. Do you ever see anybody say that or hear anybody say that? Like it's getting too big. I personally, so I'm a new disc golfer. Everyone knows that. I personally haven't heard that. Okay. Okay. But I also think some people now might say that just because they don't want like 17 year olds being or Hunter. Let's bring Hunter. (laughs) 12-year-olds being better than them. So they're like, <laughs> no, like yeah. I don't want people to keep joining because I want to be better than everyone. Okay, but. okay. And that's an interesting point he makes. He's, he's newer. But I can remember, again, I'm going back. I've been playing 15 years. And I can remember throughout that period, especially through the last five or six, seven years, people being like, slow the sport. This is getting out of control. Like I show up to a course. There's mob groups everywhere. This is ruining our sport, right? That's an interesting topic for another time. Did you have any thoughts on that? I, I mean, I just appreciated his his view on it because, uh, Share the love. yeah, the, I mean, the people who were the foundation of, of Frisbee sports, as they were saying, it wasn't just disc golf then, uh, paved the way. And if, if they were all kind of like, don't tell anyone about this, like, we might not be in the position today and you might not have ever heard about it. I might exactly. not have ever heard about it. Ben might not have yes. heard about it. And it still might have only been, you know, like a couple hundred of thousands of people instead of the, you know, 200,000 PDGA members and, you know, thousands and thousands watching, you know, live disc golf or showing up in Portland of open, just had a ton of fans. Like none of that happens if everyone back then was was just closed yeah. about it. I, I think that's super awesome. I appreciate it. And I think we all should continue to do that. I think it's just a, the best mindset to have once it's still getting bigger, meaning more courses are coming too. I think the the evolution of disc golf, it's it had this weird period, especially through the pandemic, especially where courses were way over capacity because there's so many more people coming. But now you're seeing this large increase of new courses. And I mean, even locally, I'm seeing it just like explosion courses coming in everywhere because everyone wants to get in on it. Some people don't like that, whatever. But my point is like, it's going to start to, I don't know what the right word is, balance out i think like how many people like basketball i mean maybe it's a horrible example but there's basketball courts everywhere and you could go anytime we could probably go find a basketball court right now evan that nobody's playing on oh 100 percent. i mean i live that's right near I, a basketball court that's that kind of my point though on. is like yeah. there's enough out there where we can enjoy it at any time we want you know what i mean by ourselves or with a group and i'm saying i think disc golf can get there if it's not already starting to. So that's yeah, kind of, I think take. people are just a little bit scared to change and they'll look at yeah. certain situations like ball golf, where you have these high membership fees and, and all that extra money that comes with it. And they just get scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I get it, but also at the same time, your, your point of basketball courts and other sports like that, it's just so easily accessible. And I yeah, see that's where it should. Is. It, if we go way back to early episodes, it used to be an intro to our show like two years ago. 
it was Nick and I talking about like greens fees and people get riled up about that. We're like, we'd pay a hundred bucks for the right course. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. About Yarva, you know, yeah, you pay, uh, yeah I'd pay a hundred bucks right now to go over there. So oh, now we're going to take that yeah. clip next intro. All right. So that was an epic interview. Totally loved it. Appreciated it. I mean, there's so many people we could get in here that are history and foundational to the sport. And maybe we should do that more often this week. It worked out perfectly. Shout out, by the way, to uh, Ted Nalen uh, over at Double G Craft Jerky. He's been a great contact for us, not only for the Double G Jerky sponsorship, but for his connection to so many people. I mean, he's hitting me up all the time with great ideas. And in fact, introduced me to John. And that's how this came to be. So shout out to him. Thanks for that, Ted. All right. Here's our closeout. Can you believe it? We all, Without Nick. Well, actually, we can believe it. I'm here and I'm talking. <laughs> without Nick, we made it almost two hours. Let's do this. Shout out to U.S. Amateur Disc Golf Championship, U.S. Nationals, okay? Amateur Nationals. Shout out to Ilkin Grow. He takes it down after a seven-hole playoff. Seven holes is like, that's epic. And it was a repeat, in my understanding, of 117 and 18 at Toboggan. Yeah, imagine how much hiking those guys were <laughs> yeah. doing. It's an endurance oh challenge. Yeah. yeah. So shout out to him for taking it down, but I also want to give a special shout out to a friend of the show, fan of the show, my understanding still is, but way back towards the beginning, Paul Kranz. Paul went out there, and after 54 holes of competition, he's in the lead by one stroke of in the last hole, hole 18, throws his drive, he's still in the lead, right, by one stroke, and Ilkin Grow puts in an outside circle's edge putt to tie it to force the playoff. They went seven holes. Ultimately, Ilkin did it again, and Paul wasn't able to secure it. But Paul playing fantastic. He's a local here, big fan of the show again. Shout out to him. Uh, I expect that if he goes to Amworlds, he'll either win it or perform just as high. Expect, and we're calling it here now. This isn't a hot take. Paul, you are a future face on the Pro Tour for sure, if that's what you want to do. And uh, we'd be cheering for you and rooting for you. Maybe when Nick's out, you can fill in as the pro athlete. <laughs> or or one day he'll pass Nick. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just kidding. He'll just be the interview. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> for the win. Uh, so that excellent performances by them. That, that, I mean, heartfelt congratulations to both, really. I mean, I know the win, not getting the win probably hurt, but Ilkin got the win. And, and many want to talk about foot faults. I'm not going to do that right now around somebody's win. Let's talk about foot faults another time. It's really interesting because we don't know how many happened during that event, but there was two that were on camera that seemed like it could have been. Okay, but, <clears throat> but to that point, this, I, I have to say, so I'm not throwing shade there. To that point, nobody called it. Any foot faults? It played out how it played out. He won it outright, fairly, and a major congratulations to him. I got a text message, and I think you were part of this group text message. Ben? Yep. You, yeah, you're part of our group. Uh, I'm part. Heather Young. What did, did Nick text us this? Who texted yeah, us? Yeah, yeah, Nick what, texted us. What did he say? What did he is say? this just now? No. No, no, no. He said. This was like earlier this week or last week. He said Heather Young came in second at. Is it Tennessee? Tennessee State Championship. Tennessee State Championship. Heather Young. And yeah, so he was saying, huh. yeah, she, she's back at it. She took a little break. Is she back at it? We need to reach out. I've got her. T I got her phone number. I'll Seems like it to me. I I forget what she said when we were talking to her, but just quickly looking at her registration, she is registered for Preserve U.S. Women's wow. Idle Wild and such and such. Was I she don't, always? Though? I don't know if yeah. she always was, and she was just going to drop when hmm. the time came if she wasn't ready for it. Um, maybe she just recently signed up. I don't know, but yeah, she did play uh, the Tennessee State Championships. 
and that was their first event since Texas States in March. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so we were able to get that interview with her when she said, hey, I'm taking time off, and we we're kind of like, we wish you the best with whatever you do. Well, apparently she can't get away from disc golf, and that's good. Maybe she's enjoying it at a more casual level in her mind. Maybe mm-hmm. it became, like, so anyways, great, great to see. Maybe she's coming back. Maybe she is. We'll have to reach out. Um, these are more bullet points than discussions unless you have a reaction to them. Macbeth is having trouble. <gasps> That's oh, a goodness. reaction. That's a reaction from Ben, everybody, off camera. <laughs> um, I think he alluded to this in one of his, his uh, the press conference interviews by DGN. It was like, I'm struggling. But he, started, he was saying he was feeling more confident, like it would fix itself. So I don't know what he's struggling with. Seems like it's putts. Yeah, I, I, I will say I was watching um, some post uh, coverage of, I believe it was, what was the lot? Portland Open. And I think he missed like three in the circle putts in a row at one point. Um, there were chain outs. It wasn't like crazy, but still it was mm-hmm. just like, like the uh, big German Nate were like shocked. They're like, wow, this is not Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty crazy to see. Yeah, I mean... I, I I don't have any ins, insight there except that everybody goes through it. Yeah, I'm, even me. I'm not gonna like sound the alarm on on Paul McDonald. No, he's not I mean, washed up. If, right. If, nope. Yeah, we're not. I'm not going. No, there. we're not going. I'm there. not going anywhere no close way. to that. I'm not touching it. Still the go. Uh, but it's it's Paul McBeth. We're not that far away from European Open. I think mm-hmm. we're about a month, right? Uh, maybe maybe five weeks, six. Give weeks. Give us the stats. Does he usually turn it around about now? He. <laughs> uh, I would have to look that up, but like I mean, European Open, it, yeah, he's it's incredible at like he, that's if, yeah. if there's a tournament he plays better than Worlds, it's, it's European now, Open. Evan. So uh, I that guy just finds when majors are coming, he just figures it out. Um, so you're getting me excited though about that. I but, I'd love to see him perform over there and take it down. That's and not even Paul McBeth wise, like we're all excited for yeah. the European Open no, too. Paul McBeth, so no. <laughs> what they call is like, like Pepto something. They had some word they would use over there. Like oh, when he oh, won. Uh, it meant like McBeast or Beast. Pep- Bismo? Like Pepto oh, Pepto or not, something. Pepto. Anyway, Pepto someone in the chat. Bismo. Yeah, no, it's not Pepto Bismo. So uh, Eagles still out. That's epic for this year. Like who would have called that? It's weird because he was arguably number one we knew rated but performance wise excellent but he's still out okay that's just like i'm just saying it. it's like you forget about these players sometimes because they're not performing they're not there ricky's planning to return for the preserve mm-hmm. see what happens there hopefully whatever that was is resolved he was saying it was lyme disease but then there was a lot of speculation from people that like it could have been other things not like what I mean is, like, yes, he was having the swelling in his knees or his legs, but it, maybe it was a result of something else. That's kind of weird to me, but it, Lyme disease hopefully is fixed for him. Um, not fixed forever, of course. I just mean <laughs> able yeah. to play. Um, we're going to do quickly just highlight the match play event is happening, and it's a unique format. I asked Simon, has he ever done that before, where you play match play against your whole card? And I think his I say I think because I'm trying to recall. I think he said no, but he thought it was awesome. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a World Cup format. Okay. Uh, World Cup, they they have pools, uh, groups of four, and then you you play each other team, so three games. And in that format, the top two advance, and then there's, I mean, it, it changes formats, but like you would have like sixteen advance. Um, double. I guess that'd be more people there. But in this format, it's pools of four, but only the top one advances. So it's 
it's going to be exciting. I think a lot of talks going to be about top players choosing not to play it for, for rest or whatever re- reasons. I think the course is going to be grueling. It's gonna be a lot of hiking at elevation. It's going to be tough for the players. And, but I think this is going to be spectacular, even without the top players, it's gonna be super exciting to see one, a new course, one, a new area. We haven't seen Colorado or the, you know, the mountain West on any kind of elite level in a long time. Uh, and live it's going to be absolutely incredible to watch that area is so cool and i think the pool style match play is going to be really exciting uh just to kind of see it sh- uh shake out in that last match play matchup like mm-hmm. the third one in the pool there's gonna be so much going on i i think it's almost gonna be too much people are gonna be overloaded with how crazy exciting it is um I'm just stoked for it. Big names aren't there, but you bet I'm tuning in still. We're doing this quick. We're going to be doing our picks here. We've made it to two hours, but we're going to finish out with picks both for this match play and the preserve. This is going to be kind of a lightning round thing. Just say, I'm not going to call on each of you. Just say who you think out loud. If it comes down to Calvin Heimberg, Gossage, Mason Ford, and Barella, who do you pick? Out well, of that, I mean, Gossage. I'm picking, making a pick. I'm going, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going Gossage. He's from Colorado. He really probably knows player. how to throw at altitude. And there's rumors about Calvin maybe dropping. If he didn't say that, I was going to pick him. But now that you mentioned that, but if he shows up, it, okay, can I give a disclaimer? It, if he shows up, I'm picking him. If he doesn't show it, up, I'm going Barella. It's hard not to, especially since he won this last year at a totally different course. If he shows up, I'm picking him. If yeah. he doesn't, I'm going Barella. The next one, Burr, Lazat, Aderhold, and Coling. I go Lazat. I go Lazat as well. That's I'm going to go Burr. I have a feeling that those two are going to be matched up in that final pairing and the winner gets to move on. That's going to be, uh, I was about to say ecstatic. That's not the right word. Uh, it's going to be crazy. Aderhold and Colin could both be that dark horse for that card. Oh, I, like for that card. Everyone like, at this yeah, event is exactly. good. There's not bad I can see them. Right, I was, was going to say, I can see each of them like <laughs> yeah, coming out and stealing match points. Yep. Okay. Uh, Conrad, LeCastro, Klein, Harris. I feel like I want to say it's a roll of the dice. Is he on or off? But LeCastro out of that Conrad, LeCastro, Klein and Harris. Uh, I'm going to go Kyle Klein. He's going to turn around his year. Wow. Okay. Today. What do you think? Or at I, the match play. Klein's interesting. I'm going with Conrad though. Okay. Not bad. Interesting. I think it's good. Interesting. All right. And the last one for MPO Freeman, Jones, Humphreys, Fry, I feel like Jones. Um, Freeman, Jones, Humphrey, Fry. I'm going. I'm going Freeman. I'm going strawberry shirt, my man, Freeman. <laughs> strawberry. I, yeah, I would. That was what I was deciding behind. But I feel like Kevin steps up in these moments. Okay, yeah. we're not going to go through now. Who would you match up against? Who we're not doing that. We're going to do M- FPO now. Mandahano, Valerie, Beach. Emily Beach, Oli- mm-hmm. Maria Oliva. I'm seeing their first initial here, and then Van Dyken. Out of those, I feel like I feel like it'd be a little crazy not to go Mandahano. You gotta, yeah. for the sake of this though, for the sake of it, I know. I'm gonna go Maria Oliva. That would be a good pick. For the sake of it as well, I'm going Mandahano. <laughs> <laughs> nice, goodness, perfect. Uh, Missy Gannon, Alexis Mandahano, Holland Handley, Rebecca Cox. This is absolutely crazy that I don't go Missy Gannon, like, right away. But that's a whole nother conversation for another time. I feel like it should be her, so I'm going to say her, but it also could be, like, any of those other three, Rebecca Cox or the others. But what do you think, Ben? I'm going with the sister, Mandahano, okay. once again. I, 
I'm going Missy Gannon. I think this one's clear. One, she was the runner-up in match play last year in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Two, she spent a lot of her life in Colorado. Uh, I I'm not, I don't want to understate that it is tougher to play at elevation. People complained about it. Not I shouldn't say complained. People mentioned mm-hmm. how it was tougher at Utah for Worlds last year. That's roughly 4,000 feet. We're going to be at around seven or 8,000 feet. It's different, and I think she'll be able to adjust a lot better. Yeah, so – and. It's not shade. As a guy who here talks about disc golf, like it's not shade. It's me talking about what I feel like I'm seeing. And because I actually feel like Missy Gannon is a fantastic player. But what I've been seeing is just like it could be biased according to last year's performance. It's interesting that I just don't feel like right away it's her. But that's who I pick. um, (laughs) Okay, awesome. And and I know we're not doing future uh, after the uh, initial pools, but Missy Gannon is my pick to win the whole thing. All right. Well, she almost, yeah, she was doing really well last year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cat Merch, Own Scoggins, Lisa Fakus, Haley King. My answer is Haley King. This is easily the most exciting group. It's just like so many different kinds of yes. players. Like, I don't even know what to make of it. I oh. I don't know. The next one's pretty interesting, it's, too. This is this is Merch, a, a Scoggins, coin flip. Fakus, King. What do you think, Ben? Um, I'm going with the Merch. Okay. That's not bad. Uh, I feel like it's... Owns either going to uh, like own could come first or last. Any of these women could come first or last in this pool. It's incredibly good. <laughs> Just her style of play. Though. Choose it. I'm going to go Choose. own. Okay. That's, oh, that's actually really good. So I don't, I won't give my reason for Haley. I just feel like that's I, what I'm going Owen's with. a good putter, but I, yeah. I want to say this real quick. I think there's going to be a lot of odd putts. I think there's going to be a lot of awkward greens, a lot of, you either want to land high side or low side and then yep. have to have elevation mixed in. And I don't know if Owen's good at that style of putting as she is flat ground putting. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a clue. That would be really interesting to find out. But I think that'll be the biggest uh, takeaway. All right. Final one here. Ella Hansen, Sarah Hokum, Natalie Ryan, Jennifer Allen. This one is, like you said, super exciting like that previous because I don't know what to pick here. Out of, The experience goes to Jennifer Allen or Hokum. It depends on the putting game out of these four. And I'm just going to say, I know that's true for anybody, but I feel like when it comes to Ella, Hokum, uh, yeah, Ella, Sarah, Natalie, and Jennifer, like to me, putting is the major factor here in this one. They can all throw. At least that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. So who's going to come out with the putting game? It's, ah, man, I want to go experience with Hokum. This is tough. Hokum. I'm going Jen Allen. I am going. Ella Hansen. If Natalie shows up the way that she has been, like generally, but I don't, I'm not picking it here for some reason. Yeah, so. I think she's had the the best showings, the the highest showings, not the best overall uh, out of those four ladies, anyways. Yeah, this year uh, it's it's just hard. Oh, like I, I said earlier, even with the, the dice. even with the top of the the very top of the leaderboard dropping, there's the bottom is so good. And this is so exciting with pools. Like you just, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I am looking up right now. Cause I didn't do this earlier is who is signed up so we can do our picks. I'm assuming everybody signed up for the preserve, but let's, Oh, this is 2021. That was a mistake. Uh, who do you think is going to take down this version of the preserve? We already said the three P and Ben. Yeah, goes Simon, so he's Simon. already picked. He's already picked it, but I feel like if this is not Vegas and this isn't how it works, but I feel like if you flip a coin, how many times can Simon take it down? I'm like, 
can you even imagine if you did it again? So I'm like, I'm going to play the odds and say no. But like, of course he's in it to win it. Um, uh, yeah, that's wild. Uh, it, it would be wild if he wins. So uh, Garrett has been on, a, I'll call it a little bit of a heater. I don't love when that word gets overused, but he yeah. has been kind of something has clicked. Something has clicked for him. Is it Paul Macbeth going to come out and do something? Um, I'm going to say this is crazy. It's either Ricky, Simon, <laughs> Kale. No, that would be hot. That, oh, maybe. Um, this is really tough. Do you have anybody? This is the, I wasn't. This is two weeks away. I'm all in a match play right now. I'm going to just. But okay. there's, <laughs> good point. Good point. It's two weeks away. No, you no, no. I, well, this is your last because you're not going to be here next week. This True. is your last time. I got to pick it. Yeah. So dang it. I'm picking Simon Lazat and I'm doing it again. And this is the clip I will share, Simon. If I'm right. Uh, I, and I'm all in on it. And intern Ben. Yeah, you too. The whole show. <laughs> is it the whole show? Come on. I'm actually, I'm actually saying, wait, I'm actually saying it, by the way. I'm not just saying it because I'm like, I want it to be true. Like, I'm actually saying that is my pick. Like, I really believe it's going to uh, Yeah, happen. I understand. I think for the, wow. for the fact of someone going three in a row, uh, Disc Golf Pro Tour <laughs> events, uh, elite events, uh, that would be incredible. And I would love to see that happen. <laughs> I think that's that's tough. Come on, baby. That's tough. It would be exciting, but I'm going to say no. Like, I, oh. uh, if Ricky's playing, I might go him, but, like, Paul could come back. He's always played well here, too. Uh, I, uh, it could be even the time for, like, James Conrad. You know, uh, he's been close and just hasn't gotten the, the decently good wins. He's just gotten the huge wins. So... <sighs> I don't right. know. My mind is not made. He up hasn't right made now. a pick. FPO. I'm assuming if let me just filter by rating the easiest way to do this. Oh, Kristen Tatar. She is back. Oh no! But, Can you pick anybody else? Is it Katrina but, Page? But does Haley? Kristen Tatar? Evelina's there. Does Anna's Kristen there? Tatar play well at her when her her beginning of her American stretches? She dominates at the end when she's ready to go home. Then she crushes. By the way, Paige and Kristen are tied dead heat with the rating. I didn't realize that. 981. So, if I have to pick now, it's hard to choose anybody else than Kristen. But you make a good point for why you wouldn't. It is going to be a battle with Chris. I hope this is like a four-way battle or six-way battle. Like, Paige, Kristen, Katrina, Haley, Evelina. I hope Evelina somehow figured out her putt. She's like, I'm coming back. Well, her the last year, I uh, didn't check the one that just happened. What about Valerie? Weekend, but her putt, her putt has been better, Evelina. She won with like 84% or something. This is out of control. The way Valerie's playing, all these players, this is what Paige has always dreamed about and others too. Mm -hmm. But it's like, let's go deeper in the field where anybody could win it from three cards away. So my pick though is Kristen. Ben or Evan, any final thoughts on that? Um... I'm going to go with, I pick her every single time, Paige Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> we, that used to be the way years ago. It was like, of course you do. Like, there's nothing yeah. else you do. I, I think I'm going to have to stick with Paige Pierce mm. as well. Uh, it, mm. It's tough. It, it's not any easier than the, the men's side. Uh, and so many of these women can win, so. Well, as Paige says, like, I'm not booing for her. I have root for her, and I hope she throws her shots amazing, and I get to cheer for her. See, Paige, you taught me something. Um, well, did I get all the mixed bag? Did we talk about everything? We did. I mean, there's still lots to talk about. We enjoyed the interview. Nick wasn't here. We missed that side of it. 
Um, wow. This was a good show, though. I will not be here next week. I have been going to this family vacation spot up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire since I was probably four or five. So we're talking 32 years I've been doing this with my family. That's a long time. It is a long time. And it's become, in some ways, like in a, kind of an immediate family reunion. And my family is pretty large. I have five brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. I'm the third oldest. And they all have spouses well not all of them one of them still doesn't and kids and well not all of them some still don't have kids but but the point is it's expanded and large there's like i don't know 18 or 20 grandkids for my parents plus the six siblings and their spouses and like it's turned into something epic i will not be here but give it up for ben tonight we set him up we said you run the show fully like come in and set it all up and get ready to go and he did it so ben good job thank you so next week, it's all on his shoulders completely. I'm giving him the passcode to my house. I'm trusting him with that. <laughs> I'm gonna go into Matt's collection and take whatever the you firebirds want. And whatever you want. I'm the, gonna the Vibram stuff. I'm gonna number number and order them all. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Garrett Gerthy again on his win. I have a DX Sonic from when they were very first released with his name. I think it was the first one ever. I've told this story before. First signature ever. He wrote it number one. I still have it up there. So you can don't steal that one. <laughs> No, yeah, but not even close. Still, anything? Not else. even close to John Kirkland's fifteen thousand or whatever it is, and he stopped collecting in eighty what two eighty eight, and he's like, I have five thousand more since then, but it's not a collection. That's just my my surplus. And I'm like, wow, I have like three hundred. That's how many discs I have. So, all right, well, we've made it to the end of the show, and Nick's not here to close it out. But I feel like it'd be putting one of you on the spot too much to say it what he says. And I'm not going to say what he says because we want it to be missed on the show, right? We want it to be missed a little we, bit. We can do a curveball and, and put John Kirkland for the outro. <laughs> well, he believe it or not, he's he's re- John Kirkland has been sitting in the green room this whole time enjoying the show through a direct portal. He's putting it on the mic. He is putting it here. Put him up. Put him up. Three up or one up. See, look, he's still, this is epic. (laughs) He's still here. And this is, we did not plan this. John, we've made it to the end of our show. What do you think? I basically have no life. I'd rather watch you guys than go do anything else. (laughs) That's not what we were trying to say. (laughs) And the fact that we just like, he's still here watching. Like it calls him out like that. But no, I, I have to tell you, I felt Again, I'll say it, privilege and honor, the fact that when I'm talking now, I can see the chat writing their messages, but when I can look in the green room and see John Kirkland as I'm talking, I'm motivated. So thank you for being there. John, you can say whatever you want as the closeout to the show, but as soon as you say, like, that's a wrap, I go, peace out, everybody, and then we hang up. So you get the last words tonight. It's really fun talking to all you folks, but more importantly, go play some disc golf. That's a wrap. That's right. Ben, you're awesome. Evan, you're awesome. John Kirkland, you're awesome. And Nick, we'll see you next week. Peace out, everybody. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube.